Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program with the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. We are never stuck. And today you're going to learn how you can go home, like really, and be welcome. We are so excited to have Dr. Gina Page, uh, co-founder and president of African Ancestry, Inc., industry pioneer, speaker, entrepreneur, and her country of origin is Nigeria uh, with uh, the tribes Hausa and Fulani. And uh, she's going to be doing, she's joining us today with uh, Chazelle Naeem, who, um, uh, Muhammad Naeem, who founded, uh, and I'm going to mess it up, um, you know what, Global? You know it, right? <laughs> You know you're global. <laughs> you global. A leadership training and coaching firm. Um, uh, Chazelle um, spent 25 years as a corporate American American insider, spending a decade at Wyndham Worldwide Building Organizational Leadership Capacity and Team Performance. And we'll we'll read more of her bio. But what's really exciting about um, what we're going to be talking about today is how uh the um african ancestry uh incorporated has um been able to um connect people of african descent with the countries of origin and on april 29th and i'll let um dr uh, g give us all the details and uh Chazelle, who is one of those new citizens as well um talk about how the state house in freetown African Ancestry President and Co-Founder uh, Gina Page and Sierra Leone Minister of Tourism, Madam uh, um, Maimunatu Pratt, marked the occasion of a disagreement signing, bringing presenting 59 Sierra Leone passports to the inaugural recipients of of um, under the new partnership, which means that people of African descent who are descendants of Sierra Leone, are now citizens. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that is so, so wonderful. Um, so anyway, uh, I was wondering um, if we could talk a little bit about that, and then I'll come back 
and 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 read your your full bios. Um, but I do want to mention that Dr. Uh, Gina Page, co-founder again of African Ancestry, um, is a pioneer in um, in DNA uh, research and um, tracing African lineages using genetics and a new marketplace for people of African descent looking to more accurately and reliably trace their roots because there are a lot of different um, ways to trace one's DNA, and African ancestry is specifically targeting people of African descent. So maybe you could talk a little bit about about that, um, Dr. Gina Page. Of course, and thank you for having Suzelle and I on the show today. Uh, African ancestry, yes, um, we we exist to help black people transform the way we view ourselves and the way we view Africa. And we've chosen to do that by offering a tool that helps us fill that identity void, uh, the void that comes from not knowing where in Africa we come from. And so we have a test kit that helps people identify where specifically in Africa, down to the ethnic group or tribe, uh, where their maternal ancestor was prior to the tra- transatlantic slave trade or and or where their paternal ancestor was prior to the transatlantic slave trade. And we're really proud of this work because we're the only company that can do this. And uh, we are the only black-owned company. We're the only company with black scientists and all, uh, an all-black team. And so we are who we serve. And that means that we have a sensitivity to the 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 so, social uh, ills, if you will, the the pressure that we have in society related to our genetic information and our culture and values. And so we also are the only company that does not sell or share our customers' DNA. And so for the over 1 million people who've been impacted by this work, who found out where in Africa they come from, there is a component of people who we've traced to the country, the present-day country of Sierra Leone. And in April, well, actually, I'll say back in, back in November of last year, the country of Sierra Leone began offering citizenship to its DNA descendants. And so if you were able to show that you shared genetic ancestry with people living in Sierra Leone, then you were able to receive citizenship. They did it in January. I'm sorry, they did it in November 2020, January 2021. But then we partnered with the government, like you said, with the, uh, the, the Ministry of Tourism and Culture and specifically the Monuments and Relics Commission to uh, formalize the process so that it helped them uh, be more um, critical of those who come and want to, when I say critical, I mean, you know, making sure that these people are who they say they are and that they've taken the test and gotten the results that they say they have. And so mm-hmm. 59 people traveled to the country to get citizenship, and 10 of them came with us specifically on an African ancestry family reunion. So that's when I got the opportunity to meet Chazelle in person and um, witness, watch her journey of reconnecting uh, to the Mende people in Sierra Leone today unfold. And I have to tell you, it really was quite uh, a blessing to watch. Mm, mm-hmm. 
Oh, wow. So the African Ancestry Family Reunion, is that something, a program that you have that um, you offer to um, people that have gotten their DNA um, <clears throat> uh, run through through your, your organization? It is. So in 2019, December 2019, we launched these trips, African Ancestry mm-hmm. Family Reunions, which are specially curated birthright journeys for people who have taken our test to return home. To their countries of ancestry. And so this trip to Sierra Leone, obviously we did nothing in 2020, uh, but this trip to Sierra Leone in 2021 was the first, the inaugural African Ancestry mm. Family Reunion. Oh, wow. 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 That is that is that is awesome. That is really awesome. So, um, Giselle, um, you um you've implemented programs that empower youth and communities globally, facilitating social emotional learning, workshops, mentoring Kenyan um college students and providing scholarships. Um you partnered with Pass It Along to help over one thousand high school students discover your passion and purpose. Um and you recently recorded a TEDx talk about your identity journey. Is that this identity journey? <laughs> Hi, Wanda. Thanks again for having Dr. G and I on. This is such a pleasure mm-hmm. and an honor. Yeah, so my TED Talk was recorded before my family reunion, my birthright mm-hmm. trip home to Sierra Leone. It was actually recorded before I knew that I would be taking a birthright trip home this soon in my life. It's something that I have wanted to do since I got my results back in January of 2020. Actually, when I got my results in January 2020, I was in Ghana at the time. I had spent um, six weeks in the continent, on the continent at that time and then came back to the U.S. and been plotting and planning diligently ever since, how am I going to get back? How am I going to get to see early on? And then as we know, what unfolded for the world in 2020, and then I was able to go. The first blink, the first uh, inkling I got that this was going to be a trip from African ancestry, I jumped at the opportunity. I think I found out on maybe a Tuesday, and I was signed up by that Saturday, I want to say. Um, Mm -hmm. But my TED Talk was recorded before, and it was about my identity journey since I was a little girl, growing up as a black child and into a black woman in the United States, and how my particular experiences had unfolded coming from where I came from where I am now. So that's what the talk was about. So I guess I got another eight or 12 minutes in me to talk some more about how my journey has unfolded since that time and going back home and getting citizenship. Yeah. Well, tell us. I mean, you know, you are, you know where you're from. Like, you have been welcomed home. Like, keep on talking. You're a Monday. Oh, my God. So go ahead. (laughs) I am a Monday woman, Rhonda. Thank you. And I feel it in, in my bones. You know that? I just feel it in my bones. It is one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had in my entire life because mm. it is something that I thought was forever, I thought was forever going to be a mystery for me. It was always going to be a thing where, oh, I know I'm from the continent, but where? And until I discovered African Ancestry, which was in, I discovered AfricanAncestry.com in December of 2019, just before I went to the continent. Oh. And I was like, what? I can find out where I'm from because I was just going to the continent 
to, to, to travel for six weeks and just absorb my motherland. I didn't have, I wasn't going because I knew where I was from at that point. So I took my test and got on the plane. As I mentioned, I got my results while I was there. But learning that I was Mende, a wash of relief came over me. A wash of ease came over me when I got my results. And I remember I was in Ghana at the time, and I got the email, and I just walked out on the balcony, and I just stood in the sunshine. I don't know why that was my reaction at the moment when I got this, my results, because I was from Mende, but I just stood out on the balcony, and I just stood there and felt like the sunshine was washing over me. And I was so grateful that I was on the continent when I got this, this information because it really gave me a sincere sense of connection, like, I do belong here. Like, this is where I belong. This is where I'm from although it wasn't Ghana. So um, my Mende journey, being more specific, going back to Sierra Leone, and I say going back. This is my physical first time of, of traveling there. But when I say going back, I mean I'm going back for my ancestors who left and probably never returned. I am a part of them. They are a part of me. So when I went back, we went back. And I feel like for me that experience was a tremendous step in my healing process. And by healing, I mean my identity struggles that I've had since I was a little girl that I talked about in my TED Talk to growing up as a black woman in the U.S., spending 25 years in corporate America. Those of us who have spent time in corporate America, any significant time, we know what that can do to us. It can wear on us. It can wear us down and wear us out. All we have to deal with as black people in corporate America sometimes. And this was a part of my healing going back to where I feel like, going back from whence I came, and I feel like I am a bridge, a connector, standing in the middle of the ocean that connects on one side my ancestors who never returned. I'm returning for them. And on the, on the other side, my progeny, my children, my grandchildren, my family who have never come, I am the bridge that now connects us all. And that I can't be more grateful to Dr. G, the work that she does in African ancestry, Dr. Kittles, and their entire team for the passion that made this possible that changed my life. I'll pause there because I could talk about this all day long. I'm just, I have chills, goosebumps, and it was amazing. Yeah. Well, well if I could add uh, we'll something, come. Rhonda, to, oh, yeah, to what Chazelle said. So certainly, on the certainly. trip, there mm-hmm. were um, – several different experiences that the group had um, Mm -hmm. from naming ceremonies to visiting the um, enslaved ports to, um, you know, meeting with government officials to seeing different villages. Uh, There were all different, to, you know, hobnobbing with (laughs) not the Sierra Leone, well, to hobnobbing with Sierra Leone's elite. There was a very wide range of experiences. And so on many different levels, they were completely immersed in the, or we were completely immersed in the culture. And it was fascinating to watch, um, to actually see, I got to see the passion that you hear in Chazelle's voice uh, across all the 10 people who joined us. So they really did, we, we make an effort to make sure that people really get a good experience of what it's like on the ground, in the markets, you know, all those types of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to ask you, Dr. Oh, 
Oh, but before you do that, I want I want you to give the website, uh, Dr. G, so people can be in touch with with you um, and and have, you know, have you know this experience themselves. Sure, you can follow us. Or you can visit AfricanAncestry.com and learn more about our, our products and services. And you can follow us on social media on um, Facebook. Twitter and Instagram, we're African Ancestry, and on YouTube, we're African Ancestry DNA. And actually, there is a um, an episode of African Ancestry Live where Chazelle and a few others who were on the trip came on and talked about their experiences. So if, if anybody's listening who wants to hear more about that specific trip, you can see that on our YouTube channel. Oh, super. Awesome. Giselle, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was going to add uh, one of the examples of some of the enriching experiences that we had on the African Ancestry Family Reunion trip. We had experiences that were so deeply authentic. For example, when one thing you learn is that uh, it's probably true for many countries on the continent, but the, the African countries I've been to in Africa and Sierra Leone was no different. Time is not necessarily what your watch says. (laughs) So when you have an appointment starting at a particular time, it doesn't mean that that appointment is going to start at a particular time. It also doesn't always mean that you're going to be in the right place as to where the appointment is, even though that's where you were told to go. Things are not always as um, streamlined or as exact or pinpoint as we may expect in our experiences here in the U.S. So with that, there there were many times that we all had to stay flexible That was a part of the experience. It was curated in such an authentic way that sometimes it was like, all right, guys, we have this planned for you. However, we have this opportunity to meet with, for example, the president. President Matabayo, it was amazing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That was one of the highlights. We met with the president three times. We were there on the ground 10 days. We met with the president three times. Now, that was one of the highlights of my trip. One of the greater, greater highlights also is my naming ceremony, but I'm going to use the president as an example because I've lived in the United States my entire life. I never met the president. <laughs> I'm just saying. It was not only the access to him, but it was also the authenticness of his welcome. He personally wanted to make sure that we knew that we were truly welcome. No one just said, oh, yeah, welcome. You're welcome. Come on. You know, we regret that you're here. The president, everyone in his staff, every person that we that I met or encountered was sincerely happy to see us, as if we were bringing the present, that we were the present, but yet we were there because they were the present. They were our gift to come and experience and meet them and experience the country, but they treated us as if we were the gift. And that was an amazing experience. And the president impressed upon us. He said, you are home. You are royalty. You belong here. You are from here. With this mm-hmm. resounding voice and the passion in his voice that he spoke to all of us before he personally mm-hmm. handed each of us our passport. So that the oh. that African ancestry, yeah, 
and gave us, and because of COVID, we gave elbow bumps, you know, to the president. I'm standing six inches from the president. You gave elbow you know, bumps to a president? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> exactly. So you wow. feel me. This is like, what? Is this really happening? <laughs> and you're just take, you're trying to be present in the experience, but yet you're going, this is my life. This is really happening in my life. And we're, like, giving each other, like, high fives with our eyes because we're all sitting in the audience nervous, like, we're meeting the president, y'all. So we're getting silly and giddy and goofy. This is a part of the love that we felt the entire time. We would be walking down the street because we did a lot of walking. We were not in bands all the time or going from here to there. We did a lot of walking because sometimes it just took that to get to a next place faster or to go explore something that was maybe off the beaten track but was really sensationally uh, enriching. And um, so we made several side little trips that just were phenomenal. And we had with us, and I will not call Mr. Francis Moma from the Relics, um, Monuments and Relics Commission any type of tour guide. I will not call him that. What I will call him is like the preeminent voice, the preeminent historian for the country of Sierra Leone. He was, was with us personally every single day of our trip, which means we got the deep history, the background, the foreground, and the, mm. we turned every issue upside down straight from him. And he could give us the information from, okay, where did this start off? Where did our people come from? What did they experience? Was it this island? Was it this area? He was our personal guide. And that added tremendously to our trip. And we were the only group that had him. He's the only one who's with us every single day. I know other folks probably wanted him, but <laughs> through the connections of African ancestry and Dr. G and um, – Diallo, somebody who is, who is the ambassador for tourism for African ancestry, through all of their work and their relationship building, this was an unforgettable experience that I strongly recommend to anyone who has traced their ancestry to Sierra Leone, but I recommend you go through African Ancestry Family Reunion, and I, I'm sold. I'm, and I can't wait to go back. I'm trying to go again in November. <laughs> wow, wow. This is so, so phenomenal. Um, I was just... Um, I wanted to mention. Uh, I want. I also want you um, uh, to uh, Giselle to talk about your organization because you do a lot of work with young people. Um, but going, getting back to African ancestry, uh, Dr. Gina Page, and um, and I was just looking at you know some of the um, the features that you've had. Um, you know, hundreds of media outlets, and I was thinking about some that people really know around ancestry uh, is. Um, uh, PBS is Finding Your Roots with Dr. Uh, Henry Louis Gates Jr. and African American Lives One and Two, and people know the Africa Channel and um, and NBC's Who Do You Think You Are and CNN's Black in America series, and you know because people we're interested uh, here in America and North America in where you know who are we, where do we belong? Because uh, even before you know the horrific events of 2020, we knew that this place was one where we are not seen as the people, you know, um, that all of these inalienable rights are um, um, are a part of our, our, our um, heritage and legacy and birthright. So, so anyway, um, I would just wanted to ask you if you could talk a little bit about um, 
just sort of the origins of African Ancestry um, that you are co-founder of, and you could talk about your your partner. And and then I wanted to ask you, did you have this experience, you know, as a, a you know uh, a Hausa and Fulani woman? You mean a, a homecoming experience? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh-huh. So from an African ancestry perspective, uh, what we know is that as people of the African diaspora, we we don't have our original names. We don't know our original names. We don't know our original languages. We've been disconnected from the spiritual practices and beliefs of our ancestors. And so many of us don't know our family members beyond a generation or two. And all of that created it was created by this system of disconnection called the transatlantic slave trade. In all of that loss, loss of language, loss of uh, naming, all that identity loss, there's one thing we didn't lose, and that's our DNA. And so you, Chazelle, and I, and everyone listening, we have DNA in our bodies that remains unchanged from the people who came before, from the women or the men that came before us over 2,000 years ago. And so African ancestry's um, tests were driven to identify that location based on DNA, so to restore identity based on DNA. My business partner and co-founder, Dr. Rick Kittles, is an African-American geneticist. He's a leading geneticist in the field of African and African-American lineages. And he wanted to answer that question for himself, which is how we ultimately ended up here in 2003 with this company. And so um, our work uses DNA that all of us has to reconnect us to our power as Africans. Um, When you find out where you're from, even without having the opportunity to visit, it is a powerful experience because, again, this is – we, we have traditions and spiritual beliefs and cultural practices that have everything about us really has, is influenced by who came before us. And until we understand who came before us, we can't really understand who we are. And so, as I've said before, I'm very proud to be able to give people who look like me the opportunity for that type of empowerment. I trace my mother's, 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 mother's line all the way back to the Fulani people living in Nigeria today. And through my father, I traced his father's, 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 father's people back, uh, again, 500 to 2,000 years ago, to the Hausa people in Nigeria. And I have not, sadly, have not had a homecoming experience in Nigeria yet, uh, but I have been fortunate enough uh, to meet Nigerians along the way, to be embraced by Nigerian families here in the United States. But, you know, even even more so, I've been able to um, watch others have these, these types of experiences in places like Ghana, in places like Cameroon and Sierra Leone. So I feel like um, I live vicariously through all of them, even though I haven't had mine yet. <laughs> uh, not yet, but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that that journey because, um, according to my African ancestry um, results, um, I am um, also uh, from Nigeria with uh, um, Fulani 
northern Nigeria um, with Fulani roots on my mother's side. Um, but I also have some other other roots, so really looking forward to visiting all all my my countries. Uh, you know that whose um, ancestry you know runs through my tributary. That's one thing about being a person in the diaspora. We can have a whole lot of homelands, can't we? <laughs> exactly. You know, because we just for for Chazelle's, in Chazelle's case, for example, we've only traced one branch of her family tree. So she's got a whole lot of other branches that can go to other groups and countries, but we, we just mm. have to take it one one branch at a time. Mm, nice, <laughs> nice. That is really awesome. Yeah. And and I just really, really like it both that both of you all, you know, are business women and um uh you actually um you live in Washington D C uh Dr. G, um, but you hold and you hold degrees in economics from Stanford. So you were, you know, in the Bay Area for a minute, and you have an MBA yeah. from the University of Michigan, Ross School of Business, and you have an honorary uh, doctorate of philosophy from Global um, Ovid. Is it Day Seminary yeah. or mm-hmm. Day mm-hmm. Seminary yeah. University? Where is that at? In Florida. Oh, okay, okay, cool, nice, nice. Um, and so um, I think I want to ask you, uh, Dr. G, sort of like um, with the success of of having, you know, um, I believe this is the first country um, in Africa to welcome um, its diaspora um, citizens home and give them passports. And that means that now as a, a, a Mende woman, um, you you can um Chazelle, you can with your passport visit all of the countries that are part of what ECOWA, um or something like that. Is that correct? Yeah. All the countries who are part I get the I get the acronym I mispronounce the acronym all the time, so I'm not even gonna it's go Echo-Wa. there. So ECOWA. I always say Kawaklas. Echowas. And yes, so all the countries that belong to the ECOWAS um, ecosystem, we are able mm-hmm. to travel to those countries without visas, which is, which means oh. a lot. Not only does it mean tremendous cost savings, like tremendous cost savings <laughs> every time you travel, uh-huh. it makes, it shows you, that it, it also confirms that, that you're African. <laughs> that to me is big. I always knew I was black. My skin doesn't lie. <laughs> But to be able mm-hmm. to confirm I'm African and to say where I'm from on the continent is tremendous. And for me, that green, the green book is everything. And I'm so mm-hmm. proud of it and so extremely grateful for it. As, as, um, as Dr. G said, I've only traced one line of my ancestry so far. So there are many other that I have traced, and I'm talking to cousins now saying, on my dad's side, I'm like, will you take this for me now, cousin? Will you do this? <laughs> so I'm getting together, <laughs> lining up all my my relatives who are going to be taking the African ancestry DNA test for me so we can find out on my dad's side where my lineage is. But, yeah. Mm. Wow. And did you just say it's a green book? Yeah, it's a green passport. So the U.S. is blue, this one's green. Yeah, but I was just thinking about the green book, and I'm thinking about, you know, that, that book that was like AAA. <gasps> But for black people. Yeah. And just sort of like. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, it is a green book. Wow. So it's almost like coming full circle almost, right? Yes. Because <laughs> this is also wow. travel, like travel. Yeah. 
Don't travel without your green book. That's what it was back mm-hmm. in the day. And this is, yeah, that, wow, yeah. what a great similitude. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it rings very true. You African, you want to have that green book. If you're black in the U.S., you want to have that green book. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great simile. Yeah. Okay. yeah, and you're thinking about, you know, you think about green as the land. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Which is part I'm of thinking, my flag I'm thinking about the Nguzo Saba now, you know. Um. <laughs> Tell me what's that? The Nguzo Saba, the seven principles of Kwanzaa. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about, oh, I'm thinking about the candles, you know, the black, the red, the green. Uh, and the green the is green. the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's quite beautiful. And green is a part of our Sierra Leone flag. It's, it's blue, white, and green. Mm-hmm. Blue is for oh. the sky. White is mm-hmm. for peace. And green is for the land. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful, yeah. White is also ancestor. You know, com- you know, we think about our ancestors and we... You know, we wear white to honor them. Ah, oh, beautiful, beautiful. Oh, wow. Yeah, I bet this Juneteenth is going to have a different meaning for you, huh? <laughs> truly. Truly, yeah. You really and, free. Uh, thank you. That's how I feel. And now I have, we have options. We have options that we never had before. And, and with those options comes that feeling of freedom because I feel like, you know what? If I want to, I can leave. I mean, you could always leave technically. But now I can leave. I can leave, leave. I want you. And go somewhere yeah. not only feel welcome, but be welcome and actually be a citizen. And one of the type of citizen, citizenship we have that we, that we um, rewarded was native citizenship, which means that we have citizenship equal to as if we were born in Sierra Leone or our parents oh. or ancestors were born there and never left. Mm. Wow. So that is so awesome. That's the, we have yeah, we have all the rights and privileges of Native citizens of the beautiful Great Republic of Sierra Leone. Right. And the president says, um, I'm reading from the press release, that you can acquire land, you can live in the communities, you can invest, you can build capacity, you can take advantage of business opportunities. You have all of that as a part of your city. Like, you are a real citizen. It's not honorary. You are a real member of that community. That's a huge blessing. That, it's, it's that is the greatest gift. It, mm-hmm. yep. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. That's how, yeah. And that's how I feel, and many others that travel with us echo that sentiment as well. Mm-hmm. It's priceless. Mm-hmm. And some yeah. of us are also planning and coordinating ways that we can support home. We can, we're coordinating with businesses. We're collaborating with, with um, organizations in Sierra Leone, doing what we do here, and in case it's echoed there, and we have all the same structures and the same needs. So if I want to contribute, which I do, I'm a person that believes in contributing and believes in giving back and also volunteering and giving of myself and in service to others. So I want to give it all home. I'm, I'm, that's where I'm focusing it. That's where I'm channeling it. And mm. um, it's a great opportunity and a blessing to be able to give back to those, to the ground that your ancestors stood on and helped you to get to where you are, to be able to give back and enrich that is a gift that uh, I wish everybody could have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, with uh, African ancestry, it's coming, right, Dr. G? <laughs> it's here. It's here. I mean, and you don't, the minute you find out, you have such a level of specificity, you'll know whether you're Mende or whether you're Mandinka in Senegal or the Jola people in, in uh, Guinea-Bissau or the Mbundu people in Angola. So we get very specific and then, um, 
you're off to the races. And of course, you don't have to know where you're from to give back. And so we also encourage, mm-hmm. you know, people to just choose a place. Africa is our homeland, and it, and you don't have to know where you're from in order to give back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. My mother used to tell me that. Well, mm-hmm. you know, baby, you know, just just pick a country, whichever one you like. <laughs> that's so yeah. true. I've been giving to Kenya for many years, and I was like, and, and still do. Of course, I'm like, oh, now I got another African country that I can call truly call home. I call <laughs> Kenya home too. They, I've been adopted <laughs> by a few mm-hmm. Kenyan um, villages. But uh, it's a beautiful thing because we're all Africans mm-hmm. in the diaspora. And I think that is the main, that's the point that stands above all the other points. And that mm-hmm. a basic premise in our African culture is unity and family. And then mm-hmm. until we yeah. realize that we are family, we should be unified and help and support and lift up and encourage each other, not because we are both Mende, not because we are anything except we are all African. And that is our way, and that has been a tradition of our ancestors, and that's why they were successful. And that when we're wondering why we're not successful, perhaps it's one of the first things we might want to take a look at, how much family and community are we cultivating and nurturing around us in our ecosystem and beyond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always, always wondered um, – uh, I mean, I've always looked forward to hearing about these kind of receptions because, you know, while we're out here in the diaspora, you know, we're we're not really in touch with, um, you know, these different um, countries and people. I mean, you know, people come to this country, but it's not quite the same thing. And and I would always feel like, well, dang, I just felt like sort of rudderless. Um, Insofar as I mean, you know, I know I know I have roots in this land, of course, that I honor. Um, however, you know, sort of looking outside and you know, like, well, where where are my people from? And is anybody like looking for me? And when I find out where where I'm from, will anybody welcome me home? And so, yeah, these this is this is really a wonderful story um, because it's really nice to have options like concrete real options it's not something that you're hoping for it's real you got that passport you know <laughs> absolutely and yeah mm-hmm. and we're recorded as citizens in the the mm-hmm. database of Sierra Leonean citizens and that was very powerful we just did that the other day that was very powerful as well like oh they come looking for me just as you met, just mentioned Wanda you got somebody looking for you and we mm-hmm. built relationships while we're there and folks we're staying in touch with so people are looking for you all you got to do is go mm-hmm. and be open, and there will be others that open their arms too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I really hope um, you know other other countries um, do do similar um, you know outreach through African ancestry, and uh, I can do one of these these visits with you all, Doctor G. That would be so cool. I got a lot of countries I want to go visit. Pick up my passport, or actually. <laughs> That'd be really, really. Well, I can't. Super. I can't guarantee that coming on an African ancestry family reunion will get you a passport, uh, unless it's Sierra Leone. But I can certainly guarantee that you'll have a very fulfilling experience. I really appreciate uh, having a conversation with you and Chazelle today, Wanda. Oh yeah, I hope this is one of others because um, you are a really busy woman. I've been wanting to talk to you for I don't know at least it feels like ten years, but I'm so happy it's happening in this moment. And I know you have to you have to dash because you are a busy woman. And again, I do. Folks, 
African but I would ancestry. Love to come oh, back and, and talk oh, with that'd you be some super. more another time. Not a problem. Oh, oh, that'd be awesome. And Giselle, um, I know you have to dash too. Um, so, Dr. G, uh, any closing words as you dash? And then Giselle, I want you to give your um, your website before you take off. Uh, I would just say to to everybody listening, listening that it's so important for us to know who we are, to remember who we are. And there's so many tools at our disposal in, that allow us to do that. You can do your family research through re- interviewing family members, looking at documents and census records, traditional genealogical tools. I encourage you to do that. But I also encourage you to think about the legacy that you want to leave for your families and knowing the gift of knowing where exactly in Africa you come from is probably one of the best gifts that you can give yourself and you can give your family and the future generations. Imagine coming into the world with this information. It changes the whole game uh, now that you come into the world plugged into your power source. So, um, Check us out at AfricanAncestry.com. <laughs> All righty. Thank you again. Thank and yeah, you so much. Definitely have another conversation. Have a good rest of the day. I appreciate it. Thank you. Visit. Take care, Chazelle. Bye-bye. Take, take care, Dr. G. Talk soon. Peace and blessings. So, uh, Chazelle, tell us about your organization. It just You're just doing so much, and you're a member of so many different um, constituencies powerful constituency. So tell us a little bit about, about your work and and give people information so they can be in touch with you. Thank you, Wanda. Appreciate that. So my organization is, well, my program is the African Link Initiative, or ALI for short. And ALI is, is an evidence-based identity development program that is really designed for youth of African descent to help them to transform the way they see their, their life, their world, and their possibilities by first transforming how they see themselves. And this program came as a result of my personal identity journey, as I shared a little bit about earlier, from a little girl to 2019 when I took my African Ancestry DNA test. And um, our program has three parts, and it culminates in a birthright trip to the continent. And what we strongly believe is, um, I love one of my favorite quotes is from the late Reverend Dr. Joseph Lowry. And he said, if you don't know where you come from, it is hard to understand where you are. It's even more difficult to see where you're going. And that is so true. When you see it play out in life, when we look at our own selves, I know when I look at my own self and my life, And the challenges, some of the challenges I've had throughout my life have been a result of the lack of knowing of who I am. I experienced, I remember my first experience with racism. I was about six or seven years old. And I awoke to a burning cross in our front yard where I lived as a kid at my grandparents' house. And that combined with racist experiences I had as a little girl in elementary school and then in an all-white school and growing up in that environment until we moved. And the lack of knowing for me had continued to leave this hole, this identity hole or, or hole in my, the foundation of my resilience. I knew where I came from my immediate family, of course, but beyond that, I remember countless times people would ask me, where are you from? 
I said, I'm from Jersey. No, no, no. Where are you from? I said, oh, oh, my family's from Alabama. My mom was born in Alabama. And they'd look at me. They'd go, no, no, no. Where are you from? And with that inflection in their voice and that question, I knew what they were asking me. They're asking me, where are you from before slavery? Do you not know? Like, that's as far back as you know Alabama? Like, do you know beyond that? And sadly, I had to say, I don't know. I'm not sure. And that left, that feeling every time I had to say, I don't know, left me a little sadder, I think, Wanda, because it was a reminder that I don't know my story pre-slavery. So for me, even though literally it's not true, but figuratively, my story began at 1619. And that's a terrible place to start your story. Mm-hmm. And when I learned that I was Mende, everything changed. Part of it because I started to do my research and I learned I have some famous Mende relatives that I am so proud of and it explains so much about my personality. For example, have you seen the movie Amistad, the Amistad? Yes. So yes. The, mm-hmm. man, the man who started the revolt, his name is Singebeth Peh. That is my relative. Yes. He is my what? Mende cousin. Yes, he is Mende <laughs> from Sierra Leone. Uh. Yes, so when I see that story, when I see that movie, and I, and I research and learn about who he was as a man, how, how this whole uh, revolt happened, and then the result <laughs> of it. They fought for two years for their freedom, and they got to go back to Sierra Leone as free people. And then his resilience and his fervor, and I said, oh, that's why that explains everything, <laughs> because that's in my blood. That's why I don't take no crap, you know? I was like, that's mm, why, because yes. I can't mm. take it. So for me, it gave me a sense of resilience. It gave me a sense of completion, even though I only have traced one line so far. It gave me a sense of foundation. It gave me a sense of direction. It was now from the point from which I can now branch out and continue to explore and expand my life and that of my children and my grandchildren. So this is, I ask, I would say to people, don't underestimate the power of knowing. Mm. For you, for your children or grandchildren, your nieces, nephews, cousins, sisters, brothers, because the information applies to everyone in that bloodline. Everyone does not have to take a test. Mm-hmm. I took mine and right. my entire family learned their lineage just from my one test. So don't mm-hmm. underestimate the power of knowing and experience Africa for yourself. If that's one thing I strongly recommend every person of African descent, Experience Africa for yourself. Don't just think that you know Africa or you have an expectation based on what you've seen here in the U.S. or read or heard here in the U.S. because by and large it's not like that. It is a whole beautiful world that will open up and you'll be like, this is Africa? And you may just fall in love with it like I have. So I strongly recommend that. Nice. So are you from Alabama? Is that where you were born and raised? No, I was born and raised in New Jersey. I was born on a vegetable farm, literally in the house on the couch <laughs> in this small community <laughs> nice. in, um, in New Jersey where I was raised. And I had that experience mm-hmm. I just shared with uh, you know, the cross burning, unfortunately. 
So in New that's Jersey. where I that's where I came from. Yeah, in New Jersey. Oh, yeah, because I thought when you say cross burning, and then you mentioned Alabama, I'm like, oh, okay. But you know, you were in in the north, the south north, or north south. I forgot how we people talk about I'm that. In the northeast. Mm-hmm. No, no, I meant south. how the southern well, principles are. Uh, you know, people thought, well, if I move, you know, north away from the, you know, Jim Crow, that uh, there's there's Jim Crow everywhere. You know, it just just was more subtle. Absolutely, there's Jim Crow everywhere. There's racism everywhere, and sometimes it's more subtle, mm-hmm. and sometimes it just isn't. The community that we lived in, the plot of land that we lived in, was part of a, a much larger parcel that was bought from one of our distant relatives when she was freed from slavery. Her slave master died and left her about $1,400 and gave her freedom upon his death. And she bought this big parcel of land that she began to now invite family members to come and live on, come from the South to, to New Jersey and settle here. But this okay. plot of land, it was like a quarter acre, I mean like a quarter mile total of, and it was all black, just us in this quarter mile. And the mm-hmm. surrounding neighbors, if you can just imagine, were all white and did not take kindly to us coming to settle there, no matter we were entitled to and had rights and owned the land or not. And they tried mm-hmm. everything they could to push us out, including intimidation, like this cross burning. This was in central New Jersey, in Monmouth County, New Jersey. And um, that was one of my first experiences that I remember so vividly as a child. And there was nothing subtle about that. We knew that they didn't want us there. So imagine growing up with that feeling of not your black skin not being appreciated or wanted or feeling that people hate your black skin. And, you know, I'm a little girl. I don't even understand all the dynamics, but I feel it. I feel the energy that's happening, even though I don't understand it, and growing up with that. Because that becomes a part of your identity as well, those experiences. Mm -hmm. And um, looking back, and that's what helped me form Ali, because I said, me knowing who I, where I'm from has transformed my life and has solved for me many of the challenges I had as a kid. And I said, if I could give this information, if I could give this gift to young people, to teenagers, how might it impact their lives? So I said, I am committed to giving this experience, this opportunity to young people. And that's how Ali was born, out of that desire to share with them what helped me and what I thought would have helped me at their age. So I crafted this program. My background is in learning and development. So I immediately went to work designing this program and building the curriculum around the outcomes that I thought were meaningful. And then, of course, I did a lot of rigorous research. I went, I used um, a design thinking model to really rigorously go through and analyze who I thought was my audience. I mean, I felt like I know what black people need that look like me, but I'm not every black person. I'm one. So going through this rigorous process, the design thinking process, was very helpful in designing this program. And we just completed our first pilot, and it was phenomenal, Wanda. So I'd love mm-hmm. to. I know we're short on time. We're out of time now. So I could keep oh, talking no, no, all day. No. It's so easy to talk to, and this is something I love. But I'd love to come back another time and talk about, talk about Ali and what we've been able to and the results the kids have experienced in learning their ancestry because part one of the program they took African Ancestry DNA test through Dr. Gina's organization, and each of our scholars learned their um, African ancestry. So that was like a whole experience, you know, there and, and so many more that we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, um, well, 
I mean, I have I have, you know, until like nine o'clock so so we're good. Um uh for for you to continue talking. I thought you had to leave at eight thirty and I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, but no, no, you're you're fine. No, you're fine. You know, continue talking about Ali. And I was just thinking about um were you raised Muslim? Because I know that you have Muslim names and, and Ali, you know, the acronym. <laughs> it means, mm-hmm. you know, the most high. Uh <laughs> which is yes. you know, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you know, I was we didn't get a chance to talk before too much before we went on. I was gonna ask you the same about your last name, but yes, I am Muslim. I was not born Muslim though. I converted to Islam in two thousand seven. So okay. uh, and yeah. that was that has been a beautiful journey as well. And the acronym of Ali, it happened to work out that way because of the name of the program, African Link <laughs> Initiative. But I was yeah. but when it worked out I was like, Oh, that's just perfect. Right. It just mm-hmm. when things are meant to be, they come together seamlessly. And that mm-hmm. is um definitely true for how this program has formed and, and been been going so far. Right, right. And then and then even your first name, Chazelle it it reminds me of of some of those you know um, fairy tale names you know Giselle um, you know like the princess or something um, uh, you know your name it's it's unusual um, but it's a nice unusual um, I sort of think like did I did I ever read about any Giselles in any of my books when I was a kid oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah it so just yeah it just yeah it sort of reminds me of that your name reminds me of of that. Um, but yeah, I'm really happy that you did get a chance to tell us about because I kept on wondering, like, you keep on telling us about, like, hinting at the this store, this terrorism that you experienced as a child. You know, trying mm-hmm. to like find your place where you belong when you were a kid. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it might be your land, but we don't want you here. Uh, you know, yeah. telling you in the neighborhood, and then you go to these schools where you might be the only one, and mm-hmm. and then you know, there's this. This 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 feeling of of displacement and 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 you see yourself being treated differently and you can't you don't have the words for it because you just got here, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and the way exactly. the way you're you know loved in your family is not the way you're loved outside of your home or your friend's mm-hmm. home. So what is this? I mean, how do you process that as a little person of African descent, and and not let it turn into something where you think you need to be something else in order to fit in, and then you sort of like, because you think there's something wrong with being a little black girl or a person of African descent, um, which is what happens to a lot of our children. Cause, because, you know, um, going back again, you know, we feel like we don't belong, and belonging is central to our development as people, as persons. And you know all that for all these different certificates you've got. Like, you've been in every training there is. Like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's like, yes, I mean, I'm pretty sure this might be on your bike. It's like, yeah, she's qualified, y'all. <laughs> you know, Wanda, it's funny. I truly, I strongly believe that self-cultivation is the root of everything. Mm-hmm. Self-cultivation, the cultivation of oneself is the root of everything because I can only control me. I can't control you. I can't control the person down the street, my neighbor next door. We can't control our children. If you can't control your own children, and we can't, no one can control their children because they're individual people, then you must know that you cannot control anyone. So if you can't control anyone, you focus on your circle of control, which is yourself. And if you show up 
as a more developed person, a more enlightened, more self-aware, more emotionally intelligent, more um, empathetic, more compassionate person, and let, you know, the adjectives can go on and on and on. If you show up in those ways more enriched, then you show up as a better, immediately as a better spouse, better sister, brother, mother, father, cousin, coworker, employee, employer, because you have worked on yourself. So I strongly believe in that, which is why I have invested in so many certifications, so much education to be able to cultivate that, which I think part of it is a natural gift that I was born with. And also to hone my gift to be able to truly believe for me, service to mankind to me is a form of worship to God. That's my opinion and that's my path. So I'm very big on helping others. It's the way that I was born. Just born this way. As a little girl, my mother would tell me, You're too nice. You just you two people are gonna walk over, you're just too nice, you gotta be tougher. And I remember a time where I tried to be tougher and it just didn't work. You know, just, this is just who I am. So I said that to say that I have cultivated myself over the years, and part of that cultivation gave me the insight to seeing how my identity was, was affected by those experiences and challenges I had as a little girl. For example, as you said, being a little black girl in an all-white school had a tremendous effect on me, but I didn't know how to process it because, like you said, I just got here. So I would talk to my family about some things, not everything. I would mention little things, and they would say, oh, they're just jealous. That was what I heard all the time. Anytime someone did or said something that was offensive or wrong, they're just jealous. And although I accepted the answer, I didn't really know what it meant. What do you mean they're jealous? How are they jealous of me? Because as a kid, I would look at their situation and look at my situation and say, well, first of all, they're white. And most people that live around us are white, so they treat each other better than they treat us. I was very aware of that as a kid. That was my experience. I said, second of all, y'all got this big old house. And some of our friends had these big horse farms. Some of my acquaintances at school, these big homes and all these multiple cars. And here it was. I lived on a vegetable farm. We were very, we lived very simply. We had a tremendous amount of love, tremendous amount of love and tremendous amount of vegetables. We didn't have a tremendous amount of money. But it didn't matter. We had love. So going to school and in my external environment and feeling this rejection and this pain that I felt, when I was in that environment, I did try to belong to that environment, and that's what started to, to hurt me, I think. I tried to figure out, well, how can I, should I be, be different when I'm here to get along? I remember doing silly things in front of the girls in the hallway as we stood online for lunchtime to make them laugh, to make them, to, to get a giggle out of them, to befriend them. I remember these feelings. And looking back, I feel like, wow, if I could be like, you know, an invisible force looking down at myself at that age, I would think, I would feel sad that as a six or seven-year-old child, I was trying to, I don't know, fit in. I was you know, genuflecting to try to to try to morph into my environment when really, and that was meaning that I felt something was wrong with me, and there was nothing wrong with me. And at home, being in this environment where our, our surrounding neighbors or neighborhood is not very welcoming, we kept our heads down. We didn't talk, we didn't go around talking about, I'm black and I'm proud. We didn't talk like that. I wasn't 
taught in that way. I wasn't taught to embrace my blackness. I wasn't taught about um, with fervor or consistency about black figures that were empowering black people around the world. We didn't talk about the Black Panthers. We didn't talk about um, Malcolm X. We didn't talk about so many of the black figures that formed a foundational sense of pride in being black in the 70s because it was safer to keep our heads down. This was about safety and about being alive. So I didn't grow up with a strong sense of black is beautiful, not a strong sense of that. So my identity was impacted by that. And some of the decisions I made as a young person, as a teen, were impacted by my lack of my lowered or decreased self-esteem because I didn't see the full value of my black skin, my beautiful black skin. And I know that the challenges that young people face today, yes, some of them are very similar to the challenges that I faced when I was young. Also, some of them are very different. But what I know for sure is that a strong sense of identity at whatever age you are and whatever challenge you're facing can only help you, which is, again, why I'm so passionate about Ali. Our program is for teens, but it is also expanding to serve an older population, college folks and also adults as well, because a lot of people like me at my age that still don't know a lot of this information that we're teaching to teenagers. And it's never too late to learn and embrace and love your blackness. That's how I feel, or your Africanness. It's never too late. Mm, That's yeah. why I do the work I yeah. do. Yeah, that's that's really that's really wonderful, and um, and you know when I when you, when I was thinking about um, Sierra Leone um, uh, and um, wow, I mean that connection, um, you know, uh, between you know the Mende people and the Mende people, you know, your people, um, and and I saw this film and it was actually uh, made into adapted into a play here. Um, uh, at the San Jose Rep, and and the the, the film is called um, the the language you cry in, and you might know it. And it's uh it's like a detective story, and uh, and so um, these people of African descent in uh, in the Gullah the Gullah people of Georgia, they've got this song that they've been singing, <laughs> and um, and they don't know that this is a um, this is a a mourning song, you know, when you lose an aunt, lose someone, and and then and then then um, the Mende in Sierra Leone are singing the same song still, and um, and so yeah yeah it's a beautiful it's a beautiful um, film, uh, California newsreel uh, carries I think they might still carry it, um, but uh, <laughs> it is amazing. Because what happens is this one song is um, uh, the way that um, these two communities are able to come back together through this through the song um, and the research on both ends uh, of this researcher in uh, in America in the South and and also looking at the rice you know because what connects us also that particular area is the rice farming, because that's what mm-hmm. the staple was in, in Sierra Leone. So they got the rice cultivation and the rice cultivation and this song. Uh, they call it like the rice coast. 
And and I'll um mm-hmm. I'll email I'll email you the information because you you want to see this film. It is just like so awesome. And uh, and then mm. and then so these folks in uh, the Mende descendants here, they they go home, and it's just so beautiful because they're together singing Amelia's song. That's that's the person who was singing it here. Yeah, yeah, it's so beautiful. And oh, and and I don't I don't I don't think there was any I don't think they got passports <laughs> I don't think they became citizens but I'm thinking like now wow that'd be a nice mm. a nice sort of continuing wrap to this connection because I know the people are probably still connected because this film mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not a recent film and this this story is not a recent story. Um, so I think it was a 1997. It's been a minute. So, um, but the research started before that. Um, yeah, but it's um, it's a really, really beautiful story about your people. <laughs> I just love, mm. I love seeing your, I love seeing your people. <laughs> it cool? And I love hearing it. Yes, <laughs> it is so cool and so amazing. And I have uh, one of my people from Sierra Leone that I met there. Marie, she's mm-hmm. teaching me the language of Mende. So I'm learning my oh, my native, right. my ancestral language. It is phenomenal. Right. She sends me these audio clips and has me practice and send audio clips back to her. It's very beautiful. Mm. And I'm really yeah. looking forward to, to finding this film you talked about. I've never heard of it, but I really, really want to watch it. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll totally send it to you. And and then I was also, um, so the last thing I was thinking when I was reading um uh, Dr. Gina Page's bio, and uh, and she was like listing some of the folks that um, that were able to, um, I guess, get their ancestry. I'm looking for, um, yeah, the brother. He wrote a book, and I'm not sure if he was uh, Mende. I'm looking for his name. Um, let's see, because folks that have come through. Um, uh, I guess African ancestry. She's got listed um, uh, Oprah Winfrey, John Legend, Chadwick Boseman, the late Chadwick Boseman, um, mm-hmm. Spike Lee, Condoleezza Rice, the King family. Uh, but I was looking for this particular um, actor. Um, yeah, he he wrote a book um, about about his his journey home and being made a chief. And and I'm not certain if it was Sierra Leone or not, but I'm thinking it was. But I I can't find his name because you would know who I'm talking about if I could find mm-hmm. his name. Um, but I'm I'm you know how when you look too fast and you're talking, you can't find stuff. Okay, I can't find it. Yeah. Well, no but, worries. Uh, you find it and, and send it over to me whenever you do. I know you've got to run. Yeah. Yeah, you because gotta... um uh this of uh, the sister um. She she um she did a film, um and uh, and we've shown it we've shown it twice uh, as a part of the um, Maafa San Francisco Bay Area um, film film is not really a film festival because we only had like three films, um, but in the past it's been a film festival, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um and and so this particular um, film that she did is sort of like a conversation between. Um, uh, Africans and African Americans, and um, and and so um, 
and and that's that's an important conversation um you know sort of Africans coming to America and and not quite quite understanding the history of African Americans and um and and not necessarily having any African Americans they can have a conversation with um mm-hmm. and so and so her film she um she she facilitates that conversation which is which is really wonderful and so um this particular actor whose name I can't figure out um he he um he's one of the producers on the film and uh, and I'll I'll send you that information too because I am okay. so drawing a blank on both of those things <laughs> <laughs> no worries thank yeah. you yeah, but but in that, in answer to your question about my name, yes, it is a Muslim name, uh, Sabir, and uh, and yeah, that is uh, that is my path as well. Oh, beautiful! Salam alaikum, sister. Alaikum assalam. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm so it's such a pleasure uh, to meet you and to exchange oh, energy with really you. Great I, I, too. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate really learning a bit about you. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm looking forward to watching your TED talk, your pre and then your new TED talk that's coming up. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Wanda. I wanted to um, maybe I can come back in the future. We're going to be doing a TED. We have a TED talk club now for kids, for teens. Oh, really? And yeah, yes. We've been approved as a TED Ed Student Talk program from the TED organization. So we are taking teenagers through TED Talks this, this summer. They're going to be at the end of, uh, it's going to be about 15 weeks. They will mm-hmm. be recording actual TED Talks. So we're super wow. excited about giving our youth the opportunity to amplify their voices and giving them a platform that, that they can be seen and heard and can be mm-hmm. shared all over the world. So um, we're starting that in July, and we're right now recruiting for students who want to take part in the program. And then we're also starting our next cohort of the African Link Initiative for our next round of students who will be in our program and then um, at the end of the program graduate to their birthright trip. So we're starting that program also in October. So we are opening the um, application process now uh, through our website and We'd love for parents and community folks to go on and nominate their young people in their lives that they think could benefit from this journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found the person um, that I was thinking about. Um, the director, her name is uh, Perez Owino, and and you would like her. Well, I mean, you would like her because she's a great woman, but um, she's also Kenyan. <laughs> and, really. Um, and I know that. Yeah, and I know that's yeah, she's a Kenyan born actress, writer and director and uh and her film uh is um it's called Bound, B O U N D, Africans versus African Americans and she's been I've interviewed her on a number of occasions. And the actor who is is a is a uh, chief in Sierra Leone, his name is Isaiah Washington and he does he has a book about his journey home that I highly recommend that you read is such a page turner and what happened when he learned that he was from Sierra Leone and mm-hmm. um and and then when he went home and like you know a lot of us you know we've got a lot of different you know um ancestry because of of the mixing of the different groups 
But mm-hmm. I think he is like almost, that's, I think that might be it. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm-hmm. whoa, that's pretty cool. Wow. And, and, wow. and he really takes his, his role as a chief seriously. And I think I think was he did he build a did he build a library but but when he's like you know sort of being a proponent around our knowing our ancestry and um, and going home it's he's getting a lot of a lot of slack from from the folks in Hollywood they're not like mm-hmm. happy about him you know promoting his African heritage and and being so focused and um, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and committed to to his his African um, uh, you know heritage in 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 a tangible way. Oh man, they just go they go about trying to destroy him. And he writes about wow. all of that in his book. It's a beautiful, beautifully rendered story. And it's like, well, yeah, racism is real, real, real. Yeah, yeah, and it talks about some of the things that happened, you know, because, you know, he had that big show. Um, he was uh, in that sitcom about he was a surgeon or something like that, remember? Yeah, and then he couldn't get a job anymore. Um, you know, they, they made it, yeah, yeah, they made it so he couldn't work. And it reminds you of sort of like what happened to, you know, people like Billie Holiday and, uh, you know, when they took mm-hmm. away the cabaret card. But this is like the 21st century cabaret card like it can still happen it can still oh, happen that's why it still happen mm, that's why we need ahead, our past please. we need our green we need our green book and we need our yeah. our country of origin we need a place like hey you know like america i'm leaving yeah. you <laughs> yeah that is such a tremendous story i wasn't aware of all those nuances in um, isaiah washington's story i want to Definitely go look it up because that's my Mende yeah, he, brother, he, my Mende well, cousin. Yeah, he's a Mende brother. Like, yeah, you got like some heck of cool people. And then lastly, when you mm-hmm. mentioned um, Amistad, I thought you were going to say that, you know, the person who was Sink, uh, Sink Q, um, I thought you were going to say that he was your relative, but then you mentioned someone else. I know that was not his no, name. No, that's what I'm talking about, Sink K. Yeah, oh. it's the same person. Okay. Sink K okay. is the name that they named him. His his okay. fairly own name was Singebete. Okay, they got it. Yeah, I know they, they didn't yeah. know how to say it right. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. He's okay. the one that led the revolt. He picked yep. the lock with the he picked the nail and picked his lock, and yeah, mm-hmm. it was him who led the revolt. And then people don't know this, but during their two-year battle, trying to become mm-hmm. to, to prove that they were free, which is the craziest thing in the world, to prove that they're mm-hmm. free people and not enslaved people, it mm-hmm. went all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States and former yeah. President John Quincy Adams defended them and helped them win their yes. freedom before the Supreme Court. So it's a pretty mm-hmm. remarkable story. Then they got to go back to Sierra Leone. And when mm-hmm. Singebeth went back home, he started this huge program called the Mende Mission. And he mm-hmm. became a huge um, advocate and proponent of, of, of um, you know, of, of, the, of Mende, of Sierra Leone, and of trying to mm-hmm. build, the, build the country to be able to fight off this um, this kidnapping, this enslavement, and what he had experienced, mm-hmm. and he brought that back and and really helped so 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 many people across the country. So really proud mm-hmm. legacy, and that's why I tell people never underestimate the power of knowing because once you find out who's got your back, because our ancestors they got our back. No matter mm-hmm. who got your back, and you may it can propel you forward more powerfully into the mm-hmm. life in which you're walking 
and give you the foundation and the strength in your steps to know that, well, if they did that back then without modern technology, appliances, resources, education that we may have available to us today, if they did that with that, what mm-hmm. can't I do? If they survived that, what can't I do? If he survived that, what can't I do? If the Mende woman that survived in order to pass her DNA along to me, she survived all of that, what can't I survive? So it gives me perspective and gives me strength and resilience to face the challenges of today and tomorrow. So um, yeah. I, I yeah, strongly recommend certainly. us connecting. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned yeah, about giving yeah. us choices. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. No, I was just saying instead of saying can't, but what can I survive? I mean, I can survive everything yeah. and anything because it's already been done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's already been done. And you mentioned the ability to have choices in America. I'm leaving you. Yeah, that's definitely the way some people will go um, with finding their, their ancestry in the continent and being able to get citizenship. At the same time, I feel like I'm entitled to both. I have no intention of ever giving up my U.S. citizenship or really leaving permanently. I want to have choices. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to go home to Sierra Leone for six, eight, ten months, a whole year, and whatever, or come come back to the U.S. if I want to and go back to Sierra Leone if I want to because Mm -hmm. I paid and my ancestors have paid the price for both of those journeys, for both of those those, uh, lineages. And mm-hmm. we've earned them, and we deserve both. So I think we celebrate both. You don't have to be, if you rejoice and embrace your Africanness, doesn't mean you reject your Americanness. For me, Wanda, I now, I, in my TED Talk, and I talk about this, that I now feel like, I'm, I, now I can be African-American. Before I can <laughs> be African-American. I didn't know what that meant. Like, Africa? How am, I, how, am I, how am I African? I don't know what anything in Africa. I don't know a single person. I don't know where I come from in Africa. This was the struggle I had as a kid. How do you call me African-American? I'm not African, but wait, am I American? And I looked around. Americans didn't look like me and didn't talk like me or walk like me or, or come from where I came from. So living in between, as, uh, as, uh, as uh, W.E.B. Du Bois talks about in his book, The Souls of Black Folks, he talks about this juxtaposition between you know, being African and being American, and you feel this pull at the same time, I felt this as a little girl and didn't know what mm-hmm. to do with it. Now I know what to do with it. I got it now. I'm African-American now. I can be that. <laughs> I can be that because I choose that as my identity because now I know what it means. So mm-hmm. That's my story, and I so appreciate you allowing me to share it with, with you and your listeners. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that two-ness, that duality. You know, that internal monologue that you can't voice. So you've got your your external persona and then you've got this internal dialogue that's that is not always in congruence with the external presentation. So you got this this chaos inside of you and you're trying to like walk and move in a sane way when it's craziness going on because it's really hard to have, you know, your African presence when you look black. I mean, you know, if you if you're yeah. one of those folks that people don't know what you are, you know, unless you tell them or if they ask, um, sometimes assumptions are good because <laughs> then you don't have to worry about that. But then there's also that mm-hmm. internal stuff going on, whether you have, 
you know, the the look of a person of African descent, like, uh, yeah, well, you can't pass, or 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 not. Um, there's this this stuff going on, and it's you know, when he wrote Souls of Black Folks, it was happening, and it's still happening today in 2021. This duality, this two-ness, this this feeling like you don't mm-hmm. belong, like. You know, you think you're one of the boys, you think you're one of the girls, and then something happens, and all of a sudden people are, like, taking sides, and you're over there by yourself. Absolutely. And it happens, I think, in every culture. Mm-hmm. I think it happens in every culture. I'm sensitive to what's happening in mine. And I just have to say to anyone who is, you know, not with this African business, because there are lots of folks African, of African descent, folks that black, and they go, oh, I, have, I don't have no need for that. I have no time for this African business. Even for those folks, I still urge them, just take a moment and just explore it. Just explore it. Because mm-hmm. you may not know. You may be underestimating your true in, internal desire to reconnect to that, that lost knowledge of, of where you are, who you are, and where you came from. And you mm-hmm. may have kind of quieted those voices because of whatever reason. I just encourage us to take a look and listen what our mm-hmm. internal voice and our deep dialogue is telling us right. about our ancestors, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. And, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, sort of um, uh, that that we are American and that we built this country and um, and, and we do. Um, our ancestors did this without pay um, for hundreds of years. And, and, and without yeah, saying. we do need <laughs> Yeah, and we we do need we do need to get our reparations, and so you know we got the HR forty. People need to write their folks to support that, and then in California um, we have a task force um, that is um, was just seated to explore um, how California can address reparations for its um, residents of African descent. So that that just they were just seated this week, which is pretty awesome. And in Cobra, mm, that's um, wonderful. I didn't know that. It has, um, it has. They're having their their yearly conference. It's going to be online again um, on uh, June twenty fifth, twenty sixth, twenty seventh, and and this weekend we're having the uh, uh, International Coalition for the Commemoration of African Ancestors of the Middle Passage is having its annual virtual global Maafa commemoration with libations and prayers, and that's going to be. Um, online um, via Facebook and um, Facebook Remember the Ancestors and Facebook Maafa Bay Area and um, and then YouTube Adasi Ancestors and that's from 11:30 to excuse me 8:30 to 11:30 Pacific time uh, 11:30 to 2:30 p.m. Eastern time so um, but anyway it's free and but adopt, but the um in Cobra is not free. But they have um they have a nice little sliding scale like if you're an older person or a student it's like twenty five dollars on up to about forty or sixty, I'm not sure. But I went last year to Encobra because it's, it's online and I've been wanting to go to so so many conferences that are now online like Asala, mm-hmm. you know, um and oh my gosh, I just feel like oh, there's so many smart black people. Oh my god, I'm just loving it. Yes, <laughs> I know. Oh my god, it's just so phenomenal. I went to so many great conferences. <laughs> That's wonderful. Would you be able to share those conferences? I was trying to write them down, but then I kind of lost track when you kept going, and I was oh, yeah. listening and trying to write. I'm gonna be able to share you those with everything. Me? Of course. Thank you. Okay. 
Yeah, Thank and, you. Uh, and if I might, can I share my website for our Oh, yeah, please, Ollie? please. Yeah, that was, yeah, we were supposed to do that like 30 minutes ago. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we just yeah, flowing with it. Please your website. Our website is africanlink.org. African, like the people, africanlink, L-I-N-K dot org. And we are on Instagram and Facebook at African Link Initiative. Instagram and Facebook. And our website is africanlink.org. Okay, awesome. And um, and then, you know, folks who want to know what I was talking about, you can go to Wanda's Picks, W-A-N-D-A-S-P-I-C-K-S.com, um, for what I just told you about these things that are happening. Cobra's not there yet because I just learned about that last night, so i got to add that to the list. But um, the... Um, uh, the Global Libations is there, and um, a monumental um, reckoning, which is happening on the 18th at Golden Gate Park. That's there, and other things are happening that are happening there. So, and I and I mm-hmm. keep on updating, so you can follow me. But I'll, I'll send you, uh, Giselle. I will send you. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll put it in the email to you when I get finished today. Wonderful. And I'm following you on. I'm going to follow you on Instagram as soon as we're off the phone. Can't wait. Oh, um, follow me on wandaspicks.com. I don't do much on oh, Instagram. Okay. I have it, but I don't do okay. much there. Yeah, Up but again. if you follow my Wanda's website, you know. mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'd love cool, to stay cool. in touch and keep following you and stay informed and mm-hmm. and to reconnect again. I think this is a wonderful, mm-hmm. be a wonderful ongoing conversation as each of our journeys continue mm-hmm. continue to unfold. Yours, yes. and I don't know if you plan on traveling to Nigeria or to the continent anytime soon. Minus well, I, and I my did, other paths that open up. Yeah, well, I, I did go to um, Nigeria when I, well, when I learned about my um, uh, my Yoruba roots, um, but I did get a chance to go to northern Nigeria. Um, but I did get a chance to go to Nigeria. I really like Benin City. That was that was a beautiful place, and uh, Oshogbo mm-hmm. was lovely and. Ah, Ile Ife was lovely. I mean, it was just, like, really nice. Um, you know, Legos, um, the shrine, you know, Afela Kuti would do his thing. Mm. Like, yeah, I mean, it's like, Nigeria oh, is like a Fela big, Kuti. you know, Legos is like big, big city. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, big buildings, and, you know, it wasn't my first time um, in in West Africa. My first um, you talk about being adopted. So my folks are um, are Wolof and and Rufisk, uh, mm-hmm. Senegal. That's that's where my, Senegal, my yeah. family. Yeah, so um, yeah, that was a, yeah, that was the first place I visited, and uh, and then Mali. I love Mali, and um, and uh, where else have I been? Um, love Madagascar. Um, South Africa was was nice. Um, I, I don't. I didn't love South Africa. <laughs> People were like a lot of lot of lot of pain, you know, uh, because the folks mm-hmm. there uh, are suffering. You know, they're not free, free, um, because mm-hmm. they're not getting the benefit of all those wonderful resources. Africa is the richest continent in the world, so there's no reason why anybody should have poverty. There's no reason for that. Isn't that and true? There are so many yeah. poor people, so many starving people. Like what? So many people without medical coverage. I mean, like what? Like you know, mm. everyone is is getting fat off of the riches from Africa, and 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 they're like, what? do not pass gold. They just leave, <laughs> you know, yep. and and don't touch anything, yep. anybody. Yeah, and yeah. I went to Ethiopia, um, Tanzania, Zanzibar, Zimbabwe. 
um, on the East Coast. That was fun. Uh, in Ghana, of course, a couple of times. Wonderful. I've been, You've got I've been a lot of stamps in your passport. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, on my you, next, right? I'm on my next one, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it's just, you know, with COVID, it's kind of like, ooh, I don't know how to do this anymore. But I, yeah, I'm glad I got a chance to get some places. I mean, I didn't get a chance to get to Peru and the diaspora, but I've been to Haiti a few times, a couple of times, mm-hmm. you know, post-earthquake, you know, to, to do some humanitarian aid. And um, really enjoyed going to Brazil. Brazil was awesome. You know, going to, you know, I didn't get a chance to go to Cuba. Um, Yeah. Oh, Cuba's amazing. Oh, you went to Cuba? Nice. I've been three times, and I could go every Mm. single year. Cuba is so beautiful. Well, we kind of do Cuba together um, because, you know, you're not far from me. You're, You're here on the west side. Right? Are you saying well, you're in Arizona, I'm, I think? I'm in oh. Arizona, but I'm I'm from Jersey, and then so we're yeah. kind of part Arizona, part Jersey, but we're going to be full time Jersey again. But oh, it's nothing but a plane ride. Leaving? It's nothing but a no, thing. That's, nothing that's but a true. Thing. That's true. When you're closer to me, when you get to Jersey, to Cuba's like, you right. know, Cuba, Haiti, right. you know, Jamaica. Right. Like, you're like, it's right there. I can touch it. <laughs> I'll meet you in Florida. We'll fly to Cuba together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds yeah, Cuba's, fun. Yeah, my Cuba's daughter. Wonderful. Yeah, my daughter went to Cuba a couple of times when she was uh, working on her um, her thesis, and and the first time when she, you know as a high schooler uh, working on a project in exchange, Oakland to Cuba. They both, oh, um, wow. well, Santiago de Cuba. They both um, were founded the same year, so they're like sister cities, Oakland and Santiago de Cuba. Oh, I did yeah. not know that. Mm-hmm. So they beautiful. went on the on the on the one hundred hundred and fiftieth anniversary of, of both cities. That's that was beautiful. a while back. I'm so glad you could travel <laughs> because traveling opens up your perspective and, and oh, everything. Oh, totally. Yeah, it really yeah. does. Yeah. Well, well, you know, um, see, good luck on on learning your language. I know that's that's really meaningful. You know, I mean, like, I can't even imagine learning your mother tongue. Like, right? Like, it's not yes. English. <laughs> right. And I'm getting it. <laughs> yeah, so next well, time you have to you, say a few things for us. <laughs> I will. I will. I have a few things. I'll prepare, like, a whole sentence or something. I don't know. I'm still working yeah, on it. Cool. I'm still a newbie right now. Uh, super. Well, let me know when you want to rejoin us, of, you know, with your kids uh, to talk about, um, you know, your work in, in Kenya and your um, – and your uh, your TED Talks for the youth. Thank you. I sure will. I sure will. I'll be All in right. touch very soon when we have uh, some stuff to share with you. Maybe come on and, and amplify those youth voices again. That would be lovely. We love that. Thank you so much. All right. You take good care. It's pleasure. It's so, you it was great well. meeting you. <laughs> you too. Bye for now. Okay, bye. Peace and blessings. Oh.
the Pacific Film Berkeley Berkeley Art Museum Pacific Film Archive, and there was also going to be a um, a panel discussion. I'm not sure if you missed that or not, but the film you can see that uh, it's a free it's a free online screening, and the panel discussion was also virtual. And I'm sure that's going to be on their website if you have missed the live panel and about about this wonderful under. Um, uh, appreciated and not as well known as she should be, uh, Kathleen Collins, who again is a filmmaker, uh, was a filmmaker and and a, a playwright. And then we close with Kevin Lee Legron's, um, uh a conversation with Tanika Baptiste, who is the director of his film Pillow Talk, which opens tonight, and it continues through next Sunday. And it's a love story. It's a black man loving a black man story and how 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 unique or is that unfortunately we don't see a lot of stories of black men black men black male love stories so this is one of those and so you definitely um want to make sure that you visit theater rhinoceros online and get your tickets um and uh and I also want to want to let you all know that uh, Thomas Simpson's Afro Solo Week One kicked off on Wednesday, and you can watch those those plays. I think there are four um, on Afro Solo TV, and they're up through Sunday. And then the second week uh, is going to open with Thomas's solo production of a wonderful play that he wrote. So you don't want to miss all of this great uh, black art. So I just want to give you a heads up about that. And um, and hopefully you'll be able to listen to most of this. I hope I hope you can get to Kevin's uh, part because we're like running out of time. But uh, hopefully you'll be able to uh, catch um, the interview with Kevin and um, uh and the director, because um, it's a really, really wonderful conversation, um, Tanika. But if not, you know where you can catch it. Um, it aired on May 28th. And, uh, yeah, so here we go. Thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And uh, when, I, when I wake up in the morning, I, I usually uh, try to capture my dreams uh, and, and write. And so today, uh, this, this poem, I think, came to me, uh, just sort of reflecting on, on Memorial Day weekend, uh, reflecting on on, you know, people who made the ultimate sacrifice, you know, gave their lives for our country, and also reflecting on uh, this uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, which concludes on Memorial Day. It's like, wow, how interesting. And I'm also reflecting on having this conversation, uh, having a conversation this morning with um, uh, Dio, Docio Habib, uh, Habib, who um, is one of our veterans, uh, and and he's he's on the line right now with you, um, sort of thinking like, what is she gonna share? <laughs> so so anyway, good morning, Diodosio, uh, <laughs> uh, and um, uh, author of memoirs in the moment, 
and we're going to talk about your book and your your walk through um, PTSD into um, wellness that you're going to share with us shortly. Thank you. So good morning. Thank you. Good morning, and thank you for having me on the show. I'm, I'm honored to be here, and I'm, I'm looking forward to some dialogue. It should be a lot of interesting uh, information, and it should be very uh, illuminating. So thank you for having mm. me. I appreciate it. Oh, you're quite welcome. We've been trying to make this happen for a minute. So, you know, all things in good time. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So the piece is entitled um, Good Death. The Vietnam War is one of those wars one never forgets. Lots of young lives taken and other lives, other young lives ruined. Young families permanently impacted. Lots of people returned to later end up incarcerated on the street. We step over so many wasted lives. War is bad. Good for the economy, bad news everywhere else. Like pollution, it colors a nation's horizon. The blues give way to bloody. Some say war is bad yet necessary. Some say death and battle is honorable except for those whose remains are dust. A flag draped over closed tombs or folded and handed to a weeping mom or wife or sister or brother. Taps, the eternal heartbeat that marks the end of life before it starts. We don't speak of trauma, the generational trauma that seeps into the pores of survivors. More insidious than Agent Orange, it contaminates a genetic pool, leaching into the fragments left or broken lives pieced together with glue, ill-equipped to hold suppressed memories at bay. The memories march forward on open landscapes, a gruesome promenade to darkness, a coup. Hawks circle, buzzards dive, viands tempt vultures who pause mid-dive and retreat. Forks and knives scattered as cloths fan and disappear on horizon. The future a much better place than now. The problem is the two share the same road. What do we do with those haunting memories that assault us in our dreams? Alcohol, heroin, marijuana, nothing stops the memories except death. And even then, who knows? Some say they see these dead still walking. Even with eyes shut, their souls pace barren battlefields. Guilt, a perpetual reverie. So that's what I wrote this morning. Wow. That's, and, that's, uh, that's this morning. Wow. <laughs> that's great. That's great. So yeah, and mm, yeah, and I, and I wanna I wanna dedicate that to you, um, you know, uh, our veteran, and and to your comrades and to all of those on the battlefield right now because we're still at war. This country seems to always still be at war. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Heartfelt and, yeah. and greatly appreciated. Thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. So you were born in 1963. Uh, yes. Yodosio Habib, and you served honorably in the United States Marine Corps and the United States Air Force. Like, whoa. Like both of them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you do that? I mean, it, it was, it was um, you know, I, I did the Marine Corps first, and, you know, after I got out, um, which I talk a little bit about in the book, I wasn't quite ready for the civilian world. 
and I faced some challenges, and I knew that I needed to get to a place where I could get more education, and one way for me of doing that was to go into the Air Force. So I went to the Air Force. I did three years there as well, which was really interesting. Uh, helped to get me to where I needed to get to to, to move forward. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, it was all about using leveraging service to better my life. And of course, this was before I understood that I was living with PTSD, so it wasn't as effective as I was hoping it would be. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and you earned degrees in film and entertainment business from the Los Angeles Film School, which is pretty well known. And uh, and you have a history of working in community around health care concerns. Uh, your book, yeah. Memoirs in the Moment, tells a candid and revealing story of the intersection of life and trauma and sheds light on how to move forward in, oh, to move forward uh, in spite of inner resistance. Um you uh, you write here in your um, about mm-hmm. uh, in your book that having lived with PTSD for three decades that looks, sounds like half mm-hmm. more more than half your life because you probably yeah. enlisted yeah. when you were really really young um, yeah. before uh, before finally going to the Veterans Administration for help and your mm-hmm. book shares the journey from innocence to devastation to becoming self aware and finding new happiness. So, yeah, um, your book um, is is really um, it's really beautiful, and uh, you got some nice illustrations, photos of you, you know, in your in your your officer outfit with all the medals (laughs) and things like that, and (laughs) and um, and and you know, you write about you know mistakes that you made, um, and and you know some things that are pretty devastating that you can't undo. Uh, particularly, you know, I really um, appreciated, you know, what you what you um, shared around what happened with you and your mom, and yeah, and, yeah, and some choices you made that, you know, you couldn't you couldn't undo, um, which had devastating um, impact on on your your loved ones. Yeah, yeah, so I don't know where you want to start, but maybe you might want to start with um, sort of how you came to to want to share this story um, after, you know, sort of coming into a better state of mental health after you recognize that you had been impacted like this. Uh, Maybe you might want to start about, like, what is war? And and that particular battle that just changed everything in your young life. Sure. So, so, and thank you again. It's a great, great intro. Um, so I enlisted in the Marine Corps when I was 17 years old. I graduated from high school when I was 16, and um, I, had, I was actually going to college at the time uh, when I was uh, when I enlisted. Um, and I I didn't like college at that point in time for two reasons. One because I was walking to school, and it was quite cold. It was a long walk. Uh, we were still quite impoverished at the time. And so it was very difficult getting forward. And the other reason was I went to college with the expectation that I would be around more mature young folk. Uh, unfortunately, that wasn't the case. I was still a rather small guy. I was probably five, six when I graduated. 
weighed about 120 pounds or so. So I was a little fella, and I didn't quite belong to uh, in the college environment because, of course, I, I was a little fella, and I looked like I was maybe 13, 14 years old. So it was interesting for me. Uh, long story short, though, one of my best friends from school had gone into the Marine Corps, and I happened to come across him when he had come home on leave. And the difference I saw in him was astonishing to me. And the moment I saw him and we, we had some words, I realized that this was the path I wanted to take. So I went to the Marine Corps, young, naive, didn't know anything about uh, other culture, other community, about warfare, about service. I just knew it was a way out of poverty for myself. Two years later, I'm 19 years old. I get sent on a deployment to the Mediterranean. Uh, the United States was serving as part of a multinational peacekeeping force in Beirut, Lebanon in 83 to try and create enough space so that the local community could build itself up, support itself, defend itself, so on and so forth. Our rules of engagement required that we did not, we were not allowed to fire upon any perceived enemy unless there was a direct and immediate threat. That translated to we will be uh, in the area with M16s, but with no ammunition. Uh, the purpose why we were there I thought was a noble and worthy one, trying to help uh, create space so that a country could grow and mature and, and support itself. Um, but we got caught up in some bureaucracy then that ultimately meant we were thought to be sitting ducks. Uh, so on October 23rd at 6:22 in the morning, um, the, we had the primary group was at the uh, base landing team building, the BLT building, which was a, an old hotel. Uh, a terrorist bomb, a terrorist drove in with a truck with about 22,000 pounds of explosives and pretty much leveled the building. As a result of that, I was exposed to the real carnage of war. And as a result of that, I uh, acquired uh, PTSD. Uh, so, and of course I didn't know it, I wasn't aware. We just did what we were supposed to do. We, we went in and retrieved uh, fellow Marines, uh, any uh, remains, any personal items we could find. Uh, we ended up going and getting fired upon and so on and so forth. We went into safeguard uh, or retrieve that uh, that equipment or those personal items. Uh, so I went about my regular duty. I ended up leaving the Marine Corps maybe um, less than two years afterwards. Um, the moment that all this happened uh, changed me. Uh, by the time I returned from the cruise from Beirut to my normal duty station, I was a different person. Um, my my demeanor had changed. Um, I was angry. Uh, just felt like there were so many threats around. I was always on alert, which means I always had this really bad attitude. I remember one time when I came home uh, to visit a mom, uh, my younger brother was there, and uh, he kind of watched me from afar. And I remember he pulled me out, and I, and I write about this in the book. He pulled me out, uh, put, put, came out to talk to me one day. He said, I, 
something is wrong. You're not the same person. You 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 you, you acting like you're crazy. Uh, and you know, at that point, I was in complete denial. Uh, so my my position was no, it's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with everyone else. So, thirty years later, after going through many ups and downs, fair relationships, homelessness. Uh, there were good times too, but mostly everything was clouded by this sense of impending doom, this sense of fear, this sense of uh, unmitigated anger that was just completely running me. It was completely overwhelming me. Uh, and I realized um, at one point in time my wife, I had had a, um, a nightmare one night. And my wife was able to convince me uh, that she had noticed this before and that maybe it's time for me to go out and, and talk to someone to try and figure it out and get some support, uh, which I reluctantly did, and, and I'm forever grateful that I actually did that because now 10 years later, after repeated therapy and support, um, I've come to understand what it is, how it has impacted me, and I've also come to see a lot of the similarities that people have, even if you never served, uh, with the trauma and how the trauma uh, induces certain behaviors within people. So now what I've done is I've decided, because the other problem with PTSD or mental illness is that we don't want to talk about it. We feel that there's, there's something wrong with having these discussions or we're showing a weakness. My experience has proven to me that when you talk about it, you actually uh, uh, free yourself from the bonds of quiet, of silence, and you actually liberate yourself uh, and allow yourself to move forward in life. And that doesn't mean that I go out and talk to everyone about my personal information. What that does mean is after writing the book, I felt a certain liberation and things that I was afraid of sharing with other people, those fears went away. Uh, so what ends up happening is that now I'm speaking with other organizations, other agencies about it. Uh, the book has been well received. Um, I try to be very honest, uh, and I try to – I wrote it in such a way where – I want to try and get people to actually feel the experience that I was feeling, that I was going through, so that we can connect at an emotional level. And I'm just really honest about it. Uh, with regard to the one chapter that you just mentioned, that's called I'm Sorry, Mom, um, and I won't go into a lot of the details. I want to encourage people to get the book. But basically speaking, as a result of my PTSD and where I was mentally, I did something that I felt was a disgrace to my family, and I feel now that my goal and my purpose in life is to try and recover that uh, and fix that situation. So the book is full of real-life examples of how PTSD has manifested in my life, and more importantly, it's about how after I began to really work on myself, I learned to overcome the impact PTSD has on me. Now, that's not to say that I'm free of PTSD. That doesn't happen. Once you have it, you have it. 
So the challenge we have is to figure out how we as individuals can learn to manage it in such a way that we are not preventing ourselves from our goals. Uh, one of the saddest things about it is that if you don't manage PTSD, it will manage you, and it will put you in an, a spiral, a downward spiral in life that will indeed cause you to, to have hardship. Uh, but the good news, again, is that with the right kind of support, you can learn to manage it. Um, and each person is different. Um, one of the other things I've learned as I began this, this, this investigation and as I started writing the book is, by large, women tend to suffer the most as a result of PTSD, whether directly or indirectly. What does that mean? Well, that means in any group of, let's say, 100 people, four people, four men will have PTSD. Ten women are likely to have PTSD. So just on from the standpoint of a sampling of 100 people, women tend to have more trauma-related activity in their life than men. And ultimately what that means is in any group of, say, 13 people, uh, and the, the way they did their measurements is pretty interesting, but any group of 13 people, at least one of these people are going to have PTSD. So ultimately that means that people who are living with trauma, whether it's managed or unmanaged, they're all around. They're everywhere we go. They're in the stores. Uh, they're in the churches. They're in the schools. They're in our places of work. They're everywhere. So my purpose with the book is to, number one, eliminate the stigma associated with PTSD. Okay, I have PTSD. That doesn't mean I'm a bad person. That just means I have PTSD. And so my whole purpose is to eliminate that stigma stigma and to become the voice of positive and, and, and meaningful dialogue around this matter so that hopefully, and so that as we talk about it, we can build, up, build ourselves up individually, which ultimately means we build our community up. Um, I had a conversation with a gentleman a few days ago, and he mentioned to me, he, the question he asked was, well, did I think that there's any correlation between PTSD or mental illness and suicide? And my response to him was absolutely. I would dare to say that anyone who commits suicide is doing so as a result of a traumatic event that happened in their life, so that action is a PTSD-related action. Now, I'm going to preface this by also saying I'm not a mental health professional, not a therapist, I'm not a psychiatrist, or a psychologist. I am an expert on what has happened in my life. I am able to speak truth about the things that have happened in my life and my reasons behind it because I've done the work to illuminate what's going on within my own self, and fortunately I've been able to, uh, to, to be able to write these things down where people can actually read, see themselves in it uh, or their loved one, uh, and then respond to it in a positive way. So that's the genesis of the book. And I thought, you know, the, the one, one other thing I thought is years ago my brother, who was the first to tell me that something was wrong so many years ago, so many decades ago, years ago he told me that I should write a book about my life because that's the story. And, of course, at that time, I, I didn't see it as such, and I, I wasn't really ready for that, and so I brushed it off. So now here today, as since I've written the story, 
I'm finding that indeed he was correct. There is a thirst for the information that I'm that I'm providing, and it's it, I provide it in such a way that it really can help people, uh, and that's really the purpose. If I can help just one person realize, wait a minute, these are some of the same things that are happening to me. Maybe I need to look into this a little differently or take the next step to get better. If I can do that for just one person, then my job, my purpose, my calling would have been met. And that's what this is all about, just helping to raise awareness, helping to encourage people to, number one, realize that, number one, just because you have been exposed to a traumatic experience, that does not mean you're a bad person. That just means a good person who was exposed to a traumatic experience and unfortunately, now because of that, we have to learn to manage ourselves out of the emotional duress and the behaviors that make uh, uh, that seem to bring us further down in life once we've been exposed to trauma. Uh, and so that's really what it's all about. Um, I try to be very honest. I'm very open. I'm really interested in and in responding to questions that people ask about PTSD or mental illness. Uh, and ultimately, it's about making sure people know this, you're not a bad person. You're a good person. You're a great person. You have the potential of realizing any dream you have, regardless of how long you've not dealt with or not managed your PTSD or your trauma-related um, behaviors, regardless of that, you still can overcome it and you still can live a fuller life. And that's really what it's all about, uh, being able to articulate that in such a way that people can act or can start thinking more about their own behaviors uh, and move forward. Hmm. Yeah, well, we're definitely going to have a part two to this conversation. It's so rich. Um, but I was wondering... Um, we're we're um kind of uh almost at the end of our our time together and so I'm going to give you a choice to to talk about mindfulness um which is one of yeah. the strategies that you use to um I guess uh manage uh PTSD because from what I just heard you say is something that uh you're never really over um these no. these memories and 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 how they sit you know in in your Definitely. psyche and and come yes. out you know, in in your body, <laughs> uh, and in your exactly. you know your thoughts. I'm I'm thinking thoughts and mind all being a part of the same yeah. body. Um, yeah. So I know you. We talked about this week because we've had several conversations about about memoirs in the moment. Um, but then I had a question about about your name, and and you know we didn't um, mention that that you grew up in the South, that you are a Southerner. But then you've lived all yeah. over the United States too. Like you know, your dad was what in in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, but, New but, Jersey, yeah. yeah, but but you but you also um, your mother raised you, um, and mm-hmm. you came to know your dad out of choice. So there's some father loss in there. And then we talked about some of the, you know, the social traumas that sort of get stirred into the pot of being an American. Mm-hmm and being a person mm-hmm. of African descent in this America. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so those are some things that we're not going to be able to necessarily go into any depth around, but maybe next time. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, I can touch on my name and mindfulness real quick if we have time for that. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, we have so, like five minutes. <laughs> what, okay, I'll be, I'll be as quick as possible. My name first. So my name is Didocio Habib. 
Dedosio is Latin. Habi is English. Dedosio means to cause to unlearn. Habi is short for habit, so to cause to unlearn habit. So my calling, my purpose in life is to first and foremost unlearn negative, derogatory, or unhealthy habits that I've introduced or allowed in my life so that I can realize a fuller life. And then, of course, as I in, in the work that I do in community, whether it's a book or whether it's bringing some people together to talk about a social issue, my whole purpose is to share information in such a way that they can unlearn uh, derogatory, unhealthy uh, habits that they've held on to that get in the way of their future growth and success. So that's my name. As far as mindfulness is concerned, well, um, I need one to of the interrupt things- you there. I need to interrupt yes. you. Sorry. Okay. Wow, how intentional is that? Like, wow, yeah. <laughs> that's that's big intention. Um, you know, because um, with your new name, um, you know, all of the, you know, your your accolades as as a soldier, you know, uh, in the military, they're not there. Um, you know, right. um, yeah, and and you do have, you know, you you're you know you an officer, <laughs> and you got some. Accolades. I was wondering, can you tell people sort of like your other name, um, which um, oh, yeah. shows up? The, yeah, so the name that I was born with is Wayne McCoy. I really use, I never, I, as, as a matter of fact, one of the reasons that I changed my name, and I did it legally, just FYI for the audience out there. The reason I changed it was because um, as a result of the PTSD, and I actually wasn't aware of it at the time this occurred, but I did not like who I was. I did not like that, that guy, Wayne McCoy. I just did not like him. He did not represent who I was. He did not represent my best self. And so for that reason, I decided that I had to find a name that represented who I was as a human being and, and it would help me get to my destiny in life. So that's, that's the story there. Um, quickly, with, um, with regard to the mindfulness piece, so one of the things I learned in uh, therapy was that the, the best way to make sure that you sustain your, your trauma-related behavior is to run away from it, to act like it doesn't exist, because what you're doing is you're actually feeding it. So with mindfulness, when I realize that I'm either getting anxious or I'm already, I've already crossed the line and now I'm very angry about something that I perceive as a threat, is to stop what I'm doing, find a place where I can get away from everyone, and sit still and start focusing on my breathing to anchor myself in the moment. Once I can anchor myself in the moment, then I can ask myself a simple question. Is this fear or this threat that I perceive that has popped into my head, is it real? And 99 times, 99% of the time, the threat is not real. It's a perceived threat that's based on a fear that I had that was based on a real threatening situation I, I, I went through that, that really has been amplified within me, and now I'm, I'm, I have to learn to recognize it when it occurs so that I can take the steps I need to take to, to, anch- to anchor myself in the present and be able to focus on moving forward. Yeah. Right. Great. Well, thank you. <clears throat> Thank you so much um, for joining us today, uh, Theodosia. Um, you know, to talk about you know memoirs in the moment, and how do people get their copies of the book? 
and how do they get yeah. in touch with you? So actually, I, we've made it real easy. You can go to memoirs, M E M O I R S dot work, W O R K, and on the website you'll find helpful information that you can use right now if you have questions about what's going on within you. And then towards the bottom, you also have a place where you can purchase your book. We also have an ebook version as well, so we're not limited to just soft copy. You can go an ebook as, as well. And there's also con- a contact form on that website as well. Once you submit that, I get the email, and, and now we can communicate. If someone needs to reach out to me, they can find me at 661 434 Again, 661-434-0730. And we do also have a Facebook page. It's memoirs.org. Okay, excellent, excellent. All righty. Well, have a wonderful, wonderful weekend, and um, and thank you. Thank you so much for the work, um, you know, on yourself that has um, – you know, resonates, you know, with our community um, because uh, literally um, your wellness is, is our wellness. And, yeah. and so your your story is our story. story. And, and like your brother said, you know, it's important. You know, we all have important yeah. stories, and, and but we all don't get a chance to put them to paper. So it's really right. great that, that you were able to do so. And, and since you're Thank a filmmaker, you. who knows, I'm sure there's probably a movie in the works, if not already. Yeah, we, we are, we're working on the – we actually have one script already, and I'm actually now looking at writing another script directly based on the book. So mm-hmm. we, we're looking at doing a lot of really interesting things going forward. And, and just quickly, I want to say this. So there are so many different layers to this that I do think that it's worthy of having more conversation because you mentioned father loss, you mentioned social trauma, there's racism, and all these different things that we deal with as society. Each of these mm-hmm. different things can induce trauma, which ultimately can lead to PTSD, which ultimately means that we have a broken society because trauma is driving us in the wrong direction. hmm yeah, so true, so true. Well, people, uh, yeah, so to be in your bodies and and monitor your breath. That's we it. do have yeah, choices, yeah, even when you feel yeah. like you don't have one. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's really okay. Mhm. All right. You take good care. Until thank next you. Time. You too, and thank you for the opportunity. You have a wonderful day. You too. Peace and blessings. Peace and blessings. Good morning, Don. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing very well. Lovely listening to you and good to talk to you again, Wanda. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. You are such a busy woman. I'm just reading like a little bit of what you're up to as, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, co-director of this new work at um, Oakland uh, Theater Project, which is opening. Is it opening this weekend? It opens this weekend. Yes, we're in previews this evening. Yeah, previews and, and really, then. No, go ahead. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Go right ahead. No, I was just gonna say that um, I saw you like you're in a couple of Zoom dialogues, um, and there's a film collaboration with um, 
the Berkeley Art Museum Pacific Film Archive, and that's this weekend. And then you've got the play happening in New York. I think it just ended. And I'm like, what? Like, what? Like, yeah. okay, Don, just tell yeah. us what you've been up to. Like, you could just, oh. I don't have to ask you any questions. <laughs> No, no, yeah, I hope we do get the chance to talk. It's always wonderful talking with you, Wanda, be it on the radio or just in person, I have to say that. But I am uh, grateful to have uh, work and opportunity at a time like this when we need the arts, when we need creative voices in the space and and wonderful stories being told. By the way, I, I loved your last interview listening to uh, – the, the Memra brother, that was wonderful to hear some of his comments, especially about how we walk in life with uh, these fears and how it informs us. And it just, uh, it resonates because as an artist, we have to to walk in fear often um, and, and break through it, work through it, um, use it. You know, in in many ways, uh, what he was saying is directly related to some of the things that we have to work through um, in our craft. And uh, I'm right now, in in response to your question, uh, just blessed to be a part of this uh, bicoastal work by Kathleen Collins, this phenomenal woman whose work has been buried for years for many reasons, um, and to be able to uh, give life and bring life to the multiple women who uh, whose voices need to be heard, whose stories need to be heard. And as you spoke to earlier, saying that there are people who don't get the opportunity to tell their stories, this woman has written, uh, given the uh, black woman an opportunity to be seen as a, uh, a human being, which I really appreciate, as a a complex being, and not just um, the the old stereotypical uh, <laughs> uh, trauma porn character who is uh, here to deliver a story just out of our suffering. You know, there's multiple layers to our humanity. And Kathleen Collins gives voice and life and beauty and song and structure and complications and and throws it all in the mix. And I get to run around in that world. And her daughter has released this piece to us at Oakland Ensemble Theater. We are working with Issa Davis, Angela Davis's niece, uh, with a New York collaboration. The Bampa Film Festival at, through Berkeley is a wonderful collabor- collaboration. And Surette Scott has also given her blessing and, and her voice to uh, this piece. It is a whirlwind of riches, of riches and richness, and I'm, I'm grateful. Mm, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm, I'm just like, I am so excited, um, you know, to, to see the film, uh, to see the play, to watch, you know, you and others in conversation with one another about the work. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about about Kathleen Collins. Um, I mean, she's she's a filmmaker um, uh, and also a playwright. And and like yeah. I don't know her. I don't I don't know her. And and her work is supposed to be you know the um, the play the the film that we're going to be seeing um, is 
you know, it was like, you know, had major impact on, you know, on the industry, but, you know, like, we don't know her. How do you know her? Right. Um, I actually do know her from Losing Ground, but didn't know okay. her. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I, I, mm-hmm. I realized I saw her film years ago, but didn't realize the, that she had done more than just Losing Ground and, and that her work as a young person watching the film, I didn't understand um, all of the complexities of what it is to live in the shadow of um, a husband who has, uh, recognition and just being a wife. I was too young, you know, to understand it. And um, it's interesting to return to her. And last year, be introduced to her her work as a writer uh, beyond just being a filmmaker. She was an activist. She grew up in a town in uh, southern Jersey that was one of the uh, the oldest, like, integrated communities in the country and um, has has a story that is phenomenal. She, you know, studied here in the States, then went to France to study, uh, fell into film in France, fell in love with film in France, came back with this admiration, knowledge, wealth, and, and um, advocacy because she was a civil rights ad- activist as well, and and worked on campaigns here in the states during the civil rights movement, um, and I am truly surprised that we don't know more about her work world and and um, writings from that period, and which I'm still discovering. Um, after speaking with Sarette Scott, who calls Kathleen Kathy, um, and and watching many interviews, she was called Kathy. Um, the the woman was a force. She um, stood her, she stood on her laurels and trusted her instinct uh, at a time when it was more difficult than it it would be for you or I, um, because the world did not see her, did not recognize nor appreciate her, and and we we get moments of that now you know we still got a long way to go but Kathleen uh, struggled through so many uh, adversities and was still such a light um, that I I think I'm wrestling with the strength and fortitude that you have to have to go through a war Um, you know armor up be at the ready and intellectually she Brilliant, brilliant woman, and and to not be recognized as a brilliant being, while you're still uh, in those shoes, alive, thriving, um, must have been something uh, difficult. And if you read some of the uh, diary entries from her black woman's diary, uh, notes from a black woman's diary, you hear her struggle as a as a woman. Um, as a wife, as a as a mother, as you know, it, the list goes on. But when you see and hear her, she is art itself, in in all of its complexities, richness, and beauty. And I, I'm in love with her now, and I'm going to continue to study, follow, and find Kathleen Collins, uh, and celebrate her um, because she deserves she deserves it. 
uh, now and certainly then. So uh, I'm still discovering her, Wanda, but I'm so glad that uh, this piece was uh, brought to us and we were honored uh, with the, you know, premiere, West Coast premiere of uh, Begin the Begin. So Oakland Theater Project is happy and thrilled to be a part of it, (laughs) but we are also in in the, uh, we're in the fight to make sure that her stories are are presented, you know this this was a quest to bring her work here. So, really happy mm-hmm. about that. Right, yeah, and that is so that is so in keeping with um, Oakland Theater Project. And I keep on wanting to say Ubuntu, but it's Ubuntu still in spirit, <laughs> like for sure. <laughs> very, true. very true. I slip up and say Ubuntu a lot as well, you know. So, well, I, I'm I, always I'm really thinking Ubuntu. <laughs> Ubuntu Oakland Theater Project. It, yeah, it was um, the it was intentionally uh, brought in. John Wilkins, our literary manager, uh, said this is a work that that this company needs to do. Michael read it. Michael Moran, our artistic director, um, said, "Oh my God, of course we need to do this." And so grateful. And, and it's it ain't easy. It is not easy work. She's she makes you do the work, and that's the kind of uh, job I I I long for because it's more than just uh, <laughs> uh, song and dance. It's actual um, excavation of uh, spirit and soul and and uh, fear and uh, so many things that we as human beings go through, and and. Add on top of that the absurdities that we as black women have to live through and and basically um, normalize because right. it is you know it is it is something that is practiced without um, forethought it is something that is on us on our bodies on our spirits without any um, Conscious, consciousness, an awareness, it seems, and and sometimes even if there is an awareness, there is a complete lack of seeing one's humanity in the space other than uh, their own. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. when it comes to how a black woman is being dealt with. So, I I love this kind of work, exploring it, talking. About <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it kind of fits with your training as well. I mean, you have a BA in psychology. <laughs> I mean, on, an MA in theater, but your first first degree is psychology. Yeah. So it's like, you know, like you, you know, you've got some, you've got a skill set where you've got the language and and the tools to be able to like really delve deeply within something. I mean, even people who are not necessarily you know, trained in, in, you know, psychic kind of awareness, you know, like exploring the psyche. Um, yeah, yeah. Theater kind of like, you know, as we mentioned earlier, it makes you do that kind of work. I mean, you know, in the what? practice of, of theater, you know, drama, <laughs> you know, Say if it. you're good, then you have to wear a different persona. You've got to know how to rid yourself of that energy once the, you Ooh. know, the curtains come down, like, but sometimes you can't, and it's like living with you forever, <laughs> depending yeah, on what it yeah. was or who it was. 
What? Yeah, you know, Wanda, that is so interesting. We talk about um, artists as artists. We talk about that all the time, and and I've come to practice rituals now to protect my my being um, because as a vessel, um, you know, I walked into I was doing a show last year. Um, that was very uh, much rooted in historical oppression, and uh, it was through this this gaze of uh, a narr- in a way that had never been performed. Like I, I was playing all these male characters um, as a black woman, still though, who inhabited the roles, and uh, I walked into this healer's space, a sound uh, for a sound bath. And during the sound bath, Wanda, he recognized that one of my chakras was ringing louder than any other space. And he he spoke to it and and said, you know, there is something here that you need to make sure you're protecting. And I hadn't talked to him about anything. He didn't know me, uh, didn't know my last name. He didn't know me at all. And uh, he said there are doors that are opening from history that you need to protect yourself from as you walk into it. (laughs) And it really um, opened up more than just that chakra. It really reminded me, protect, protect, protect. Although I am making myself available to these uh, beings and these bodies and and broken, broken spirits and histories. Yes, we as artists, always need to make sure we protect ourselves so that when we walk away, we can still walk away healthy, not not um, traumatized. And it's an interesting conversation. You, you bring that up, Wanda. There's so many um, black stories in particular um, that play our joy. And so... Where do we get to rest as a as an as a black artist? Because we walk in the world and suffer, and then walk on stage and further display those sufferings, those traumas, those real experiences. And there's no rest. So I I have rituals that I do to protect my soul, my mind. And um, speaking of my degree in psychology. I watched, witnessed, and grew up with an older sibling who struggled with, um, she suffered from schizophrenia and bipolar, manic depressive, and the world did not call it those things because she was a black woman and wasn't diagnosed with it. She was diagnosed as angry. Mm. She was diagnosed as um, by by religion, I'm not going to say by by the church, but some somewhat the church as well. But by religion, she was possessed. And instead of addressing the real thing that was going on, we attacked. Um, I feel she was attacked, and I sat and watched my oldest oldest sister be attacked, traumatized, further traumatized, uh, and not her her illness wasn't served. Her illness wasn't nurtured. Uh, recognized until late in life, and uh, that is that is why I went into uh, study the mind because I could not believe what was happening to her, but nor could I believe what people were doing who who were supposed to love her. You know how she was treated. So I I um, 
not only protect my my being because of the craft, I also protect my being because I know this world, although it is a a beautiful landscape and opportunity for us to exist together, we often miss it and simply practice um, pain on on one another, you know, so I have mm-hmm. to protect me. Right, yeah, and then there, and then there's, you know, the fear too that's projected. Woo! Come on now, mm-hmm. come on now. Yeah, yeah and yeah. and uh, that, I think that and Wanda, you can attest to this, but I think that's there's different levels of fear as well. You know, mm-hmm. um, I run towards fear now. I, I when something scares me, I, I start to get excited. Um, this year, this past year though, has. Uh, uh, I've kind of forgotten that, and I'm running back towards it again. But because uh, I had different fears, you know, uh, I did have family members that got sick with COVID. I lost a family member, and uh, the the real threat of the end of life uh, was really present, and. Um, yeah, that that's something I, I didn't know how to run towards. So I I was out of practice returning to the world of, of performance. And it's interesting, it's also strange walking into a space and not performing alone. I'm with other people right now. This is phenomenal. But also, yeah. uh, a, a, you know, a return to um, collaboration and, and being in the space with other uh other people breathing and and uh, you know are we masking are we are we all vaccinated you know the the questions so there's a new fear that comes with with uh this reentry into uh the world but i will say Oakland Theater Project is uh, Michael Moran is really uh just wonderful at his his work and he's just even more wonderful at at being um the the best human being he can be so he's thoughtful and considerate and uh really practices making sure we're taken care of so i feel i feel better i feel taken care of it's um so some of the fears have dissipated but yeah i'm i'm beginning to remember the muscle of running into fear because it's it's going to gift me with something in the end, and I've learned that at the at the darkest moments in my life, that those things that I fear also feed me. Right. Also wow, can feed that's so me. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to um, tell our audience a little bit more about you. I mean, they can read this in in the program, but <laughs> I want to mention that. Did I mention that you have over twenty years of experience in the Bay Area and New York uh, in as a theater artist, um, and you've been in some great plays. Um, your off-Broadway mm-hmm. credits include uh, As Much As I Can, uh, Patrice, Brothers Paranormal, uh, uh, Adelia, Delilah, um, uh, and, and Gables. How do you pronounce it? Is it Adelia? It's Delia. Delia. And Brothers oh, Paranormal. Thank you. Delia and uh, Brothers Paranormal by Prince Gomovias and directed by Jeff Liu. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Anna Green Gables, then, uh, mm-hmm. no, go ahead. And Moby Dick, which started here in Berkeley, yeah. with the same yeah. thing that did uh, the Great Comet, and we that was mm-hmm. the, one of the last shows that I closed down before uh, COVID. Well, I was actually about to do a tour 
with mm. as much as I can, but had just closed Moby Dick and jumped right into the other one before the tour. And the mm. two days before the tour, we shut down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And here in the Bay Area, you know, home is... Uh, Oakland Theater Project and and the works I've done here, but I tr- I literally I I call Theater Works uh, campus, you know my school because I I had so many shows down there. I've worked mm-hmm. here in Berkeley at uh, Cal Shakes. I've done Ground Floor Berkeley Rep and um, worked with Shotgun and so many Bay Area uh, theater companies. I'm not going to remember them all at the moment, but yes, uh, bless <laughs> you. Blessed to be an artist and have done a lot of film work, too. Um, I'm getting back mm. into film work, you know. Started years ago and uh, worked with Robin Williams, did an ABC pilot, and now jumping back mm. into film and television. It's exciting. I have a film coming out uh, next month on NBC with a black director out of New York called Twice mm-hmm. as Good. And uh, there's I'm writing Wanda. I am still singing and I am still teaching, which is one of the things that I've loved doing uh, for many, many years. Uh, You know, they say plant your seed under the tree in which you do not expect to get shade from. And and I am continually blessed by my students. It is the greatest gift to be fed um, unexpectedly by their their greatness and their calls and their 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 questions and. their relationships. I still have so many kids who are my my other sons and daughters, aside from my son and my stepdaughter and whatnot. So, yeah, yeah, doing doing a lot and and loving every minute of it. I f- I feel that creation and creating um, can give us life. And last year um, proved it to myself because that's what I did a lot of. I wrote a feature film. I worked on a pilot. I continued to act on on screen um uh did some recording i did a commercial yeah i i created last year a lot a lot so it sounds like it so so how do people like find out where this film twice is good like how they can see that and listen to your new cd or not new maybe it's a year old or something and see you know this this feature film like how do people stay in touch with you and keep up with you? <laughs> um, you know, the the best way to keep up with me is on my Instagram and Dawn okay. L T is where I I announce and, and uh put out all the information. I just literally did finish some studio time this week with uh Cellista, uh who is this wonderful cell- Bay Area cellist who is uh creating a beautiful work with women and pariah it's coming out soon um you'll see that you'll see twice as good and my conversation about that but you'll also mainly see begin begin the begin uh which is what yeah. we're currently working on and uh want to everybody mm-hmm. to come out and see and experience and the drive in part i i said yes. this in something the drive in i i experienced it when i arrived back in the bay with wasteland oh <laughs> God, with Lisa Ramirez, the force. Um, watching, <laughs> yes. watching. She is a force she, for sure, isn't she? Let's just, just pause for a God. moment and breathe that. Breathe on that one. Come on now, yes. say it. Yes. She okay, is together. A One, two, three. Force. Inhale. 
and release my god lisa that's my sister and i love 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 she's one of my favorite she's one of my favorite writers and i have seen her perform from east coast to west coast and lisa never fails to to oh, oh my god to live in every moment there's never an opportunity on stage that she's not existing at her fullest it's amazing to witness and and watch. I love love watching her. She does not let up. So you, it's relentless. And um, I'm I'm so happy to call her sister, friend, um, and and also watch and and uh, learn from her work. My God, she's also our co-artistic director, which is <laughs> something to say. Come on now. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. So, um, so tell folks how you know, like if the uh, the total running time is hour, and uh, this weekend, uh, tonight and tomorrow, um, you pay what you can, and Sunday is opening night. All the performances, I believe, are eight o'clock, and they run Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, through through uh, July third at um, the Flax Building. Um, near downtown mm-hmm. Oakland. Um, oh, May twenty eighth yeah, through uh, July third. It's a ninety mm-hmm. minute show, and oh, they drive oh. in. Yeah, it's it's not very long, and it it moves very quickly from act to act to act. I mean, there's four acts, so um, mm-hmm. you'll get to see a lot of of Kathleen Collins' uh, brilliance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the Oakland Theater Project at Flax. Art and Design Building is um, fifteen oh one Martin Luther King Jr. Way, and um, and tickets are twenty five to fifty dollars online. Additional pay what you can tickets are available. There are no door sales online only at Oakland Theater with E R Project dot O R G forward slash B E G I N, or you can call. Yeah, somebody's gonna answer the phone. Isn't that crazy? Five one zero. Six four six one one two six. Let me do that again because you know I know, I know you. you don't believe me. Five one zero six four six one one two six. Love it, Wanda. Yeah, and then Wanda, also, thank you so um, much. is there a live streaming um, component to the drive-in um, for all of the plays or this one? And how is that working? So uh, we will be live streaming this piece, and uh, to be honest with you, I I believe it is June nineteenth. Uh, significant yes, date, that's right? Right? Yeah, nineteenth. Um, yes, nineteenth. <laughs> we will be live streaming. Let's tell a story, and let's use the the time and space to help create that world. So we will be um, live streaming on the 19th, and I believe that will be available for, it will also be available for some time after that. Um, yeah, for three weeks. Yes, you can purchase that at the same OaklandTheaterProject.org. Um, and right, and, and, then that's, we, and that starts at $15 as opposed to, um, it's 15 through $25 um, yes, as opposed okay. to... Um, as opposed to 25 to 50 um, live in your car. Um. Yeah. Drive in. This is a, a wonderful experience sitting out there in the car watching as well. It, it truly mm-hmm. is. It's still really intimate. And even though the bodies are outside the car, our voices and, and our spirits 
are in the car with you. It's it's mm-hmm. such an incredible, like I said, watching Lisa do it, it was such an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. She, she, yeah, she, yeah. You're so touched. Mm-hmm. Moved. Yeah, yeah, it's different than a movie, um, seeing a play in a drive-in. It's it's, it's really, really kind of magical, you know. It's, it's... <laughs> it really is. So, so it did take me back to those days, Wanda, when we would go to the Oakland Coliseum to watch movies in the car. My parents had seven kids. So come on now. And both of both of us <laughs> putting all of us in the back of the station wagon. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, my God, I can't believe it. But, yeah, it took me back to those days. <laughs> right, nice. Well, I wanted to um I wanna let you um you know, do a shout out to the other members of the cast. Um, my other guests are in the studio but I want you to oh, like mention yeah. their names. There is a wonderful cast on stage with me, uh Leon Thomas, uh uh Margarita Ventura, uh Benoit oh uh, losing Benoit's last name and uh Kimberly as well, we have an, a phenomenal yeah, Kimberly, artist. Kimberly Daniels, and I don't know how to pronounce Benoit's last name, but it's M O N I N. Monin. Monin. Thank okay. you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, to return to the space with other artists, this is the group. Come on. I'm so happy. <laughs> so happy to be in the space with them. Sorry, sorry I forgot their last names, but yeah. Uh, wonderful people to come back to. Uh, working in an ensemble environment with, and they are ridiculously uh, talented, ridiculously talented. So, <laughs> they, no one will be cool. disappointed. Oh no, not not at all, Don. Um, everything I've ever seen at um, Oakland Theater um, Project, you know, formerly Ubuntu Theater. Um, project um, has always been like simply fabulous enough to like want to go back and see it again and I don't have time for that but I make time to do it <laughs> so that's so something about that. the caliber of story and and artistry <laughs> yes yes and I can attest to that Wanda because I, I get to see you at those return visits when you've come back I love that love it Love having you around, love talking to you, and it's so powerful, and I'm so glad that you are still on the air in the Bay Area telling our stories and speaking to our community. Thank you so much, Wanda. Oh, thank you, Don. You take good care. See you this weekend. All righty. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Peace and blessings. <laughs> uh, good morning, Kevin and uh, Tamika. How are you both? Good morning. Good morning. Congratulations, Kevin, on another world premiere at Theater Rhinoceros. Yeah. Pillow talk. (laughs) Pillow talk. Like, we know what pillow talk is. We might not have known about the Legend of Pink. That was kind of mysterious. But pillow talk, mm, love story, sex, intrigue. You know, it's about intimacy, you know. It's all about intimacy. Yeah, awesome. intimacy. Yeah. Wow, wow. It's been a minute, you know, Kevin, that I've had you on the air, and then uh, Tanika Baptiste. Wow, how long has it been? It's been years, huh? Yeah, it's been a Wow, it's, I think 2019. Oh, that's not that long. Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not, not too long ago. <laughs> 
yeah. So um, Pillow Talk is going to be a virtual experience. Um, and, and when's it going up at a it's theater right on the June 11th. Oh. Mm-hmm. And it's going to go mm-hmm. until June 20th. It's going to be on Zoom. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Are you excited, Kevin? I am. I'm kind of nervous, kind of excited. I want to see what happens. I've never seen a Zoom movie, a Zoom play, I mean, some kind of, you know, like excited. Like, Tanika's very creative, and she has all these ideas and some kind of waiting to see how everything comes together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Tanika, um, are you familiar with Kevin's work? I mean, did you see uh, The Legend of Pink? That was so awesome. I think I went twice. <laughs> wow. I I was I had not I think I had not been in the Bay Area just yet, but mm-hmm. um, yeah I I mean Legend of Pink unfortunately I didn't get a chance to see it but reading Pillow Talk the first, uh, when John Fisher artistic director at the Rhinoceros sent me the script I could not mm-hmm. stop reading it I just I was like oh my God, who is this person <laughs> and what is like because even you know even as an actor you don't really get a lot of scripts that are just so visceral and, like, real, like mm-hmm. Pillow Talk is. And so I was immediately fascinated with Kevin. I wanted to know who he was, and I was like, hell, yeah, I, wanted, I want to participate in this production. So, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, I got a chance to read uh, an earlier version of Pillow Talk, and, uh, and when Kevin told me, you know, that of, of the uh, – the new version <laughs> that um, that is going up on the 11th. I'm like, oh, really? You took out you took out that character? Like, really? Like, how how is it a play now? <laughs> like, where is the right. you took out the character that is like he's the one that makes the stuff go on? Like, hmm? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So it's like. Um, but but you you know the one you know this version you don't know the one that I know and exactly uh, and then I, I, I'm, I yeah I'm intentionally yeah, talk about not that. I don't know it I don't want to know I'm like I just this is the version I have now is like I don't want to know what was what actually <laughs> happened like this <laughs> this I'm protecting myself so like after we open I'm like okay I'll go back and like Kevin send me please send me a copy but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you know the love interest. You know, uh, maybe I don't know how much of of the story you want to tell. So, um, let me much. let me let me. Yeah. So, yeah. Tell tell us tell our audience, Kevin, what you want them to know about the work. Okay, I wanted to talk about intimacy between black men. And so you have this title, Pillow Talk, and it's a play about black men. And that already is kind of a, it goes against our imagination of what black manhood is. And then mm-hmm. about intimacy, of course, that does as well. So that is the main thing I wanted to tell everyone. But, I mean, you can still discuss it your way. You know, that's, that's just the main thing I want to put out there. Okay. And and then, Tanika, what would you say to add to what Kevin said? Oh, wow. Um, this piece, I really, so first of all, I'm a fan. I love the Bay Area. I love the the legacy and the history. And so I mm-hmm. saw that what I think Kevin did brilliantly with it is just show you two black men uh, 
their experience. You know, one, they come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, and one of them is just fascinated with this, like, underground subculture, and the other one is doesn't realize that they are too, and they, and they participate in it, but they're like, they're, like, ashamed about it. So I love that it's about, like, acceptance of self, community, um, and just shedding light on things that we don't really want to talk about or we, maybe we didn't know about. Um, yeah, it's it's it gets deep. It's like it's to me it's like a it's like a love story, but it's also a real story. You know, I, I gravitate towards pieces that are act like you don't need a MFA to tell this story. This is an actual lived experience. And so that's I hope when people come see our show they're like, Wow, like damn, they went there. Yep, we did. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, I wanted I wanted to um, write this story that I wish some someone had written for me when I was like twenty eight. You know, mm-hmm. kind of um, you know, you know, like like what I wish I would have had to talk about when I was twenty eight. Mm-hmm. One, mm-hmm. one of my one of my things. Yeah, yeah, and and that that that's really wonderful. You know, Kevin, that you are writing the stories that you don't see um, because. You're right. There there are so many young people who are looking for their stories and maybe don't have the skill set to actually write a play that gets produced. I mean, there are a lot of writers. There's some great writers. There's some just like great artists in other genres that we never know because they just don't get that break. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, for those that actually like, you know, Kevin Theater Rhinoceros, um, you know, likes you <laughs> so you know for you to be able to tell these stories that have a regional context i mean place is so much a part of the work that you do you know in the legend of pink it was about you know a particular era uh it was a, t- a time you know when things were um being unsettled you know in in this country and 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 but the community that you focused on was not necessarily a story that we heard about, you know, in the 60s. We heard other stories, but we didn't hear this story. And similarly, you know, this this story of, you know, black male intimacy, um I can't I can't even imagine and, and I don't I don't know everything, but I, I I don't know that I've seen, you know, that many uh right. plays about this, about, you know, black men being tender and loving toward one another, protective, <laughs> you know, just, you know, like a good a good story. <laughs> you know, nobody's getting killed. <laughs> um, and Pink, someone got killed. No, I'm talking about this one. <laughs> oh, I know, I feel funny. What am I just again? <laughs> um, <laughs> with, with me and my Kevin? jokes, right? Huh? Oh, me and my jokes. Oh, right. Oh, that's a joke. Okay. <laughs> All right, got it. Yeah. I think Kevin, you can even break that up. I think there's a line. I think who says it? I think Tech says that in the play about they'd rather us, you know, be fighting and killing each other than loving one another. Oh. Yeah. They're more. Wow. It's, it's very true. <laughs> it's very, It's more mm. like, uh, you know, it's realer or it's, it's more acceptable for you to, you to see two black men at odds and at war with one another than, mm-hmm. than like, being there for each other, like, in an intimate way or whatever way, just, like, not hurting one another. 
Mm-hmm. Can we just not hurt each other? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, can we? You know, that's a good question. Can we not hurt each other? Um, yeah, so Tanika, um, you know, you um, you are not a stranger to Theater Rhinoceros. Uh, this is your third virtual production. <laughs> Prior um, Rhino Director credits include The Review or How to Eat Your Opposition. What a great name. What a great title. And At the Wake of a Dead Drag Queen. At the Wake of a Dead Drag Queen. How cool is that? <laughs> uh, you originally hail from San Diego, and you work as director, producer, actor, and vocalist. You have a great website. You are so beautiful as well. I mean, your picture is like, oh, my gosh, she is so gorgeous. Um, yeah, and you... Yeah, you're welcome. And you work uh, in both San Francisco Bay Area and San Diego. So you are going back and forth up the coast? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, now, you know, because of COVID, it's so easy to, like, kind of tap into my hometown because everything is pretty much virtual. But um, I was doing that for a bit uh, prior, Mm -hmm. like, just going home and, like, producing with my friends. We call each other Babs because we're all Libras. (laughs) <laughs> and we're all oh, and, really? Yeah, we just like yeah. Those are my 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 two friends, uh, Carla uh, De Jesus and Tamara Harper Page, and we just mm-hmm. put on things and we had a yeah. So I I try to stay connected, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. My my younger daughter is a Libra, and my father was a Libra. I think Libras rock, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I also think that Aquarians rock too. Kevin's Aquarian, oh, yeah, my brother's an Aquarian. Okay. Yeah, like, and then I I'm am. a Gemini, so, you know, I sit between, you know, the, oh, the water Lord, I and, go. and the I air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I love Gemini. You all are great. Kevin, are you an yeah. Aquarius? Beg pardon? Are you an Aquarius? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. No, that's good. No, you're brilliant, Kevin. You are brilliant. Aquarians are brilliant. Libras are brilliant, and Gemini's are brilliant. You know, we just we just rock like that. Well, we're well, going anyway. Well, that's what that is. You know. Well, yeah. is super creative too. By the way, she's super creative. You know, when we have these rehearsals, and she talks about all these ideas, and she has to um, to know how to do them with all the technology and stuff. And I'm just impressed. I just sit there impressed at the meetings and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we're going to come back to that, um, you know, the other members of, of the cast and production artists. Um, so, uh, Tanika, you performed and directed with Lorraine Hansberry Theater, La Jala Playhouse, San Diego Rep, Berkeley Repertory Theater, The Old Globe, American Conservatory Theater, and The Versionary Theater. And again, your website is Tanika. Baptiste.com and B-A-P-T-I-S-T-E, just in case you don't know how to spell it, and T-A-N-I-K-A, Tanika, just in case you didn't know that it was N, um, just make sure <laughs> you can find her. If you want to stay connected, and just look at that pretty picture that pops up when you open her. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what, Kevin. Um, yeah. No, go ahead, Tanika. No, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, finish your thought. Go ahead. We're we're curious. No, no, it was it was something narcissistic. No, it, it, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> so Kevin is an artist writer from the Bay Area. Kevin is my friend. Um, yeah, we go way back, like really, really, really far back. You know, before he was a writer, before he was a curator, when he was working for the Port of Oakland as an engineer and just wanting to be an artist <laughs> and writing poetry. Um, anyway, Kevin's writings have appeared in such academic journals as the Journal of Human and Civil Rights, Media Ethics and Transitions. His essays have appeared in Street Spirit and the San Francisco Bayview newspaper. He has curated many shows that have gone to New York and Atlanta, including um, Babra, Black Artists, um, and Expressions of Father, and I Am San Francisco. So, again, welcome, welcome. So, so who are the men that are portraying these two characters um, in this pillow talk um, that's getting ready to have its world premiere? Well, our baby boy is Devin Cunningham, and he is originally from Oakland, and he's actually relocated to Savannah, Georgia. And mm-hmm. our Chuck is uh, Mr. Ramon Thomas, who actually was um, – He's based in L.A., and he, I mean, he's just, they're both brilliant artists. Ramon was on the national tour of Memphis as Delray. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And they, I mean, they're just, it's coincidentally, though, we were having a tough time casting Chuck, and my roommate, uh, Jordan Olivier Gorday, stepped in a few rehearsals, and Jordan actually had recommended uh, Ramon to me, and at first Ramon was not available and I but when he um gave me his like information all that I was like oh my god he would be perfect so um Jordan was actually going to do the role but then Ramon uh was like oh I'm actually available and my roommate completely understands you know show business whatever and we both we have another project that we're working on so um yeah Ramon just came in saved the day um they're just it's just such a a blessing to work with them both and I mean Devin he completely understands baby boy like he's he I mean he just is baby boy I don't know how to say it being born here being a queer queer black male um he just he just gets it and Ramon he's originally from um, DC area and so the research that he does to understand like um Chuck like being this San Francisco uh, raised black man and becoming a police chief, like he, it, it's just it's insane. Like the the level of talent and artistry that they both bring, mm-hmm. and I they keep me on my toes. Like I'm like okay, oof, let me make sure I know what I'm saying when we come into this. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's nice. brilliant, exquisite artist. And we do have those discussions too about a lot of issues in the play, a lot of you know the intimacy issues and other stuff. So we do have those mm-hmm. com- those conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you think about um, you know you you wrote the characters, Kevin? Um, but how do you how do you think about um, these actors um, like breathing life? Because you write it one way on the page, but then they they live it the way they live it. So what do you think about how they embody these characters and how uh, Tanika is direction of, of the work? What do you think? You know, I love it. I love the way they mm-hmm. um, bring the character off the page. But for me, it's just black and white. 
on a pa- on paper. And mm-hmm. so then when they actually perform the characters, it it becomes real. And that is where, for me, the excitement is, the fun is. You know, the fun is watching what, how they interpret it, watching what they do with it. And then I get to, I get to um, have my own show. Does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, nice. <laughs> so I, I, like it when, I like it when they come with something that I wasn't expecting or wasn't thinking about, or even if it's mm-hmm. totally different than what I was thinking about. You know, I, I like that because, like I said, I get a surprise from that. Because I, like I joke all, all the time, I'm bored with the play, and I'm bored with mm-hmm. myself, you know. So they entertain me now. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah. So how is it for you, Tanika, um, directing so many plays, um, you know, as a woman, um, you know, these, these the play it's about men, so yeah. so how do you how do you how do you address that um, as as a director? Um, and then also, I, I heard you didn't like one of the characters. So who was that, and what happened? Like, how did you? I didn't. Oh, wow. I never knew directors don't like characters. I'm like, wow. What do you do with that when you got hired and you want to keep the check, right? Like, hmm? you know, I don't know. I don't know if I should be so vocal about that, but because like. I just feel like let's just be real. Like Chuck, I was I, he yes he has redemp- redemptive qualities as towards the end of the play for me, but I'm like mm-hmm. why are you this baby? You know I don't want to give too much away, but you know baby boy is definitely hard hard on his you know things are not going well for him in life, and you have an opportunity to help to truly help somebody do better, and it just took. You're not doing that to the very towards the end of the play, and that's you know that's, that's a traffic culture, a culture that is exploited, you know. And you are one person who has such status in society, and you could do so much to help this person, and and you're not. You're just taking advantage. Um, you're making mm-hmm. sure your your needs get met, and then you you have a voila moment. Oh yeah, maybe I should help this person out. I do have a resource in that and uh, things I can help, opportunities for them. So that's that's the reason why I didn't like Chuck at first, because I'm like, okay, help him. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah. And I also I had I don't I have not read the fuller piece, so mm-hmm. that's probably why like like just the context like maybe Chuck is there's other things I just don't know, and I'm, I'm choosing not to know because I just want to stay uh, connected mm-hmm. to pillow talk. But yeah, that's that's the only reason why I didn't like Chuck. But um, as far as being a woman and directing this piece mm-hmm. in particular, and Kevin and I were talking about this yesterday, and I was just like, how there's the intersectionality with me and these characters, this piece is that you know I'm black, I'm queer, but mm-hmm. I'm also a woman. So that's that's a huge difference, and that's why I welcome uh, Kevin into our space every single time we have a rehearsal. Every single time, most directors would be like so guarded and like you know have a don't want people there or whatever. No, I need Kevin there because um, we all we kind of rely on on him to like. First of all, he wrote it. Second of all, he (laughs) you know him himself. 
she can relate to these two black men in these roles. And, um, and I, you know, it's about collaboration. And I think a lot of directors, like, some people, a lot of times people say, I know I went to this school and I can do this and I can direct anything. But do you actually know what these people have gone through? No, you don't. And I can be humble and know, stay in my lane and know, I, I cannot 100% relate to the black queer male experience. And if I have an opportunity for the playwright who, who is, like, on board to, like, help us, heck, yeah. Heck, yeah. So that's, that's kind of, like, how I filled in the gaps with that. Like, no, I, I, I don't – I like to make it, like, teamwork. It's a, it's a collaboration. So, yeah, that, I, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that Kevin was on board and he's like, oh, my God, what y'all need me for now? <laughs> Like no, like he he gets it and and I get it, you know. Um, I could direct a, an an Asian story. I'm not. I don't. I don't. I have not lived that experience. So I'm gonna bring people in the room who know what is really going on. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you. So how how are you translating this uh, experience uh, in a virtual medium? I know each time I see a play uh, virtually, it just sort of depends on 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 yeah. the company as to what how it is. And I've seen some really, really, really good productions. The last one I saw was um, was on Motherhood, and it was at um, the uh, Alterina uh, Playhouse here in Alameda, and it was outstanding. It was last week, last mm. Friday, uh, was last Friday Saturday. Really, really, really good. Um, no, no, no. Just one day, last Friday. Um, yeah. So, how? What are you all doing? How? How are you sort of envisioning this work in um, in an online platform? Mm-hmm. So, I, what I realized is like Zoom is a happy medium of theater and your TV. It's literally like it's not. You can't be. It's not like you're on the theater stage and you're mm-hmm. and there's it's just a screen. So, um you can I mean, I've seen productions where folks are doing like they got engineers controlling people's cameras and they got all these different things, which is great and I've seen productions where they're literally like not moving. Just <laughs> <laughs> I've you know, so for me it's about just amplifying the text, like staying true, telling the truth, telling the truth and and making sure the the actual words centered. It's not about what I oh how cool and creative I can be. Yes, I can be creative, but it's like I also believe in keeping it simple. And so we, but what how I'm choosing to uh, give some sort of like ooh theatrical experience. We brought in Wesley Murphy, who's doing our video music and sound. Uh, we're gonna have some cool cuts. Uh, just of like Oakland and like the 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 times and the the soundscape, you know. Like it's I want to I want to amplify the artists that come from the Bay. Um, there they have the, we have a movement sequence. My my good friend down in San Diego, Wilfred uh, Paloma, is choreographing it. We're filming it tonight. But there's different ways to uh, ignite the senses what and it it doesn't have to be like you don't need a a pulsing strobe light you don't need heck of tech you just need to make sure that you're it's uh doing justice to the words to the piece 
So I've, I've definitely learned my lesson in the review. I had them changing their backdrops. They had camera cut, color change, wardrobe change, like all those things, and I, I stressed my actors out. Um, and this that's not the time. We don't need to do that. We just need to make sure that we're telling the story. So, um, yeah, there there definitely be some moments like, ooh, that was that was interesting, but for me, I lead, I'm I'm led by Kevin's piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're sitting in the car, so that alone that you don't you don't, <laughs> they're not doing too much you're in the car, but mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah. So so Kevin, um, what what do you think of the look of the work? Oh, we haven't done anything yet. I've just been at rehearsal, the reading and stuff. We we haven't done anything, um, or I haven't seen any any of the um, visuals yet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are you working on any um, other plays? Um, you know, set in Oakland. I I just thought it was really uh, the idea that one of the characters, Chuck, is a policeman. I'm like, really. Thank you, Wanda, for destroying the story. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Okay. It's done. <laughs> Can't undo it. Are you? I'm, I'm curious, too. About what? About any more plays? Yeah. No. Yeah, about more plays that, yeah, because... These I really yeah. like your plays and I'm and I'm your friend, but I really I mean if I didn't I would tell you. Um but I, I really like reading your plays. They are so good. And I really wanna see what, what Pillow Talk looks like. I haven't read the new version. Um but I remember, you know, the characters, the one that's gone. Sorry to see him leave. Um and and the one that's left <laughs> and baby boy. Well, I, I, well, I mean, it, it works as a, a standalone story, though. I mean, um, because they had their mm-hmm. own thing going on, and so it it wasn't, you know, basically, you know, you, you took that one character out and then kind of reworked the dynamic between um, the, the two left, and so it became its own story. Um, yeah, so so it, it worked out as as its own story, you know. Oh, yeah, I'm not not saying that it wouldn't. I'm just saying I don't know that I, I mean, I like the story. I like the the other person, um, the bad person, um, the bad boy. um, Good boy, bad boy. Yeah, bad guy, thank you. (laughs) So I'm like, will there be enough story for me since I know the other version? So I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, Pillow Talk as it's being, having its world premiere. But yeah, what are you working on, Kevin? What other stuff you got going on? Um, I'm doing an essay right now. There's a, a, a homeless issue going on right now that I'm starting an essay on. You know, that's my mm-hmm. that's my my uh, mm. major concern right now. But um, in terms of plays, um, I don't really have a play right now. A lot of plays come to my mind, and there was some I was going to do in the past. But the thing is, a lot of times when I write a play, it it it, it takes a lot of my Mental and my energy, a lot of my life, I have to live that. I'm living that life, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and so I, I um, don't want to just like get into a story, you know, halfway get into a story. I have to it'd be a story that I'm I, I'm already fully invested in, 
you know. And so that is why I'm kind of like avoiding, um, say, uh, 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 plays right now, my own plays right now, because before the play gets into my head, it'll start nagging me and bugging me. And um, so I want to make sure that when I do allow a play in, that it's something that I can, you know, um, get into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was wondering, um, I was thinking about, you know, we've, we've done a lot of work, you know, with underhoused and, and um, unhoused community. Uh, you and I, Kevin, have done, you know, work around advocacy, um, you know, for, for housing, permanent housing, as well as um, other kind of support services. And and I think about your character, Baby Boy, and I don't know, like, if this is a, I don't know if how this shows up in the new work, but um, but he's a young person, and mm-hmm. um, and and he is not really stable, um, like, you know, um, like Chuck is, and and mm-hmm. you know, and but he, you know, but he, uh, you know, he's trying to to find his footing. And and then I think about, you know, sort of unhoused and underhoused folks. I mean, a lot of them are young people. Some of them are older people. Um, you know, some of them have uh, have addiction um, issues or problems. Um, some of them just don't have enough money, and they, they lost their housing, and they can't get their footing again. Um, we have whole families that are under and unhoused on the streets of Oakland. So I was just thinking about that and thinking about, the situation, you know, that baby boy finds himself in when he meets a Chuck. And I was wondering, um, you want to sort of speak to that, Kevin, and as well as you too, um, Tanika, around sort of who these people are, who are these characters. Because they're like, you know, like they're not they're not people we don't know. They're characters but out of your imagination, but then we know people. We might be that person. Right. Well, when I well, you know, when 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 we used to go out there to the encampments and stuff, you know, we would meet them as people, not as homeless. You know, um, mm-hmm. there's more to them than just being homeless. There's different stories, different realities, and stuff like that, and the individuals. So I think that, um, you, um, you know, you just have to keep that in mind. Just think of people as individuals who happen to be homeless as opposed to homeless, one um, broad brush of homelessness, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, um, baby boy, you know, I I love him. He's, like, on my heart forever. Um, There's so many ways. First of all, let's just keep it real. You can, we can be them, like you said, immediately in this Bay Area with the cost of living. You can't have one slip up, you know, we're all like, we all have like two or three or four or five hustles just to make ends meet. So, um, you, you can, and baby boy, I, you know, he, he mentions in the play, he had a, there's a learning disability that he had and it went undiagnosed. So mm-hmm. just that, you know, trying to survive as a child, as a black child, um, in an education system, California education system. Like, I've been, I, I'm born and raised in San Diego, but I went to college at UC Davis, and I was completely, like, <laughs> uh, swept under the rug. I was just a number, you know, in a system. And nobody really cares about you. 
you know, they're not checking in on you. Um, so it's easy to end up, there's people with advanced degrees end up homeless, end up with addictions, end up, you know, disregarded and, and just rejected by society. And um, the baby boy, he, he has this resilient spirit. He, it's probably because he's so young, he doesn't really know, like, all the things that can happen to him being on the street. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's seen things, but, like, yeah, it can happen to you too. Like, just that when you're young, you don't really – you have this blind ignorance, like, oh, that could actually happen to me. I could end up being shot or being stabbed and killed and left in a ditch somewhere. You know, um, so that's that's him. He's so happy, but he's also like just trying to survive. And Chuck to me is like this man who's just constantly on edge, constantly like, you know, he's not living his truth. You know, and he's he's so prolific in his community, and he's like his own worst enemy. He's like, oh, I can't be myself, but I have to, but I I have these, I have this need, and. Um, I think there's a lot of people like that, not just necessarily in, in terms of like sexuality, just like not living the truth and having and causing anxiety on themselves because you're just not being real. And so these two people meet, and they both kind of like, you know, they have this uh, passive aggressive or sometimes aggressive aggressive uh, uh, interaction with each other, but they they influence one another. You know, baby boy is younger, but he's like, look, just, be, just, you know, tell them to do this. Tell society to do this. It's okay. Be yourself. And Chuck is like, go get a job. Like, <laughs> so that, you know, they help one another along the way. Uh, you, you know, years ago I was a tutor at um, this elementary school, and the teacher gave me this one little boy, basically pushing the boy off on me, right? So I said, Okay. And so mm-hmm. as I tutored the boy, I noticed that the boy could not, like, grasp some basic stuff. So then at what point he had to write something or do a clock or whatever, and he did it backwards. And I said, what? And I, so I had him ask him, make me a two. He made it backwards. Make me a five. He made it backwards. And I said, oh, my God, this boy has dyslexia. And I'd never seen it mm-hmm. before, right? You, you always hear about it, right? And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. oh, no. So I remember and the boy was, was he either loved me. When I come to class, his eyes were Widen, I would look for him, you know, because you know, um, I would just t- you know take time to you know just talk to him, and then when I discovered that I was like, oh my stars, you know, how do how, I didn't know what to do, so I told the teacher after class, it's boy's dyslexia. Teacher says, yeah, whatever, you know, like this, okay, huh? Yeah. And, and she didn't care, and that was why that was in my mind. So that week I went on vacation. I came back about two weeks later, and the boy was gone. So I asked about the boy, and the teacher says, oh, he's gone. His mother um, took him out of my class because he's getting bad grades. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Is he in a special class for dyslexic or what? You know, I, you know and the teacher yeah. in a discussion, like no, nothing else. And so a lot of times when I'm, like, in the streets, you know, in West Oakland, whatever, I, I kind of wonder, where is that boy? You know, because yeah. it, it was just, it just kind of it, it always bothered me, you know. Yeah. It's like that, that, the, the teacher's nonchalance. You know, and there was nothing I could do about it. Cause I knew the boy's name. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and and the thing about it, this is he's in the third, I think third or fourth grade at that point. And so, 
you know, and the boy was innocent. He was trying to learn. He was trying to get the stuff. Mm-hmm. He was really working hard, but he just couldn't grasp it. And the teacher was obviously, you know, unconcerned or even irritated with the boy. And mm-hmm. uh, when I came in, the boy was like, you could see the boy's eyes just widen up when he saw me. And as a tutor, that motivates me. That motivated me, you know. But it was right. sad, you know. So right. that, that that does come to my mind, and it does come to play a, a bit, too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then you think about all the children that are, you know, were lost, uh, you know, in, in this uh, pandemic uh, arena around education, um, you know, if the family didn't have technology, um, mm-hmm. if, if they got technology but didn't know how to use the technology, then, you know, so where are the kids? Can they concentrate? You know, do they have a special space in the home to be able to study? Like, like those are kind of things that you don't just know intuitively, um, you know, having having space for a person to be able to study, like, where people in the house are running through all the time, disrupting the educational process. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, mhm. Yeah. Wow. So back to the play. How how do people um, get tickets? Uh, what's the cost? Yeah. How how does that work? You can go on the Theater Rhinos. Um, hold on to me. On their website. Yeah, I went to the website, but the date's wrong. The date's wrong. Uh huh. It wrong? has uh, it has June twenty second through twentieth. Um, really? Hold on. Nineteen uh, now. No, I'm looking right well, now. It's the twentieth. I'm looking right now. I'm in the press room. Where where, where should we look? In the buy tickets. On the website. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on the website too. Okay, yeah, there. You can go. I see the dates, the five show showings, and then we'll have it on demand. So you can. We'll, we're going to record probably opening night, and that uh, you can watch it um, until Sunday, June twentieth, um, eleven forty-five p.m. Okay. Oh yeah, I see it. Um, I see the uh, stream Friday, June eleventh. Yeah, because the um, the other date is when I just. Um, just pulled up the um, the calendar um, listing for what's mm-hmm. on now. The date's not correct, um, but on the um, on buying tickets is correct. So I oh, okay that yeah because because that's where you can read about it and you can see who the actors are. The part that I pulled up. Mm. And that part mm-hmm. is on it. The, the date's wrong. Mm-hmm. Really? Thank you. Uh huh. Yeah. So so I'm gonna unlink from that one, <laughs> and I will put yeah. the I'll put this link that um that has the uh, how you buy tickets, and then you all can fix the other, and then people can look at you know the cast and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Oh, oh no problem. Well, it's been. Oh yeah, no problem. That's why I asked the question. Um, yeah, it's been really really lovely. Uh, Speaking to both of you, uh, congratulations, Kevin, on the world premiere. Um, yeah, um, and it's it's really a pleasure to be speaking to you again, 
uh, Tanika. I mean, yeah, see your work as a director uh, here in Northern California. (laughs) Uh, My friends play like, yeah, like, oh, my goodness, how cool. (laughs) No, I just just love speaking with you. Like, I remember, I mean, when we did Single Black Female and just the platform for us to just come and just, you know, tap in with the community. So just thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, and, and connect me back with your work because it's been too long. Like, put me back in the loop. I will. I am a fan. You are a wonderful artist, wonderful when writer. Play, when you see what you mm. play, you'll be a real fan for real. You'll be a big mm. fan. Well, I'm already a, a real fan. <laughs> yeah. I'll I'm be renewing my, my, my subscription to the fan club. Okay. <laughs> and and ditto to both of you. Like y'all I mean I didn't know, but now I know. I've been changed. So yeah, I feel the same way. Evan is the truth. Mm-hmm. He is the truth. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, Kevin. He'd be throwing down. Mhm. <laughs> yep. Yep. So maybe this wanna get a barrier theater uh circle. You know, um, Theatre Rhinoceros, which is the longest uh, gay um, uh, theater platform in, is it in the country, in the Bay Area? Uh, what What is it? Uh, in, the, in the country. In the country, yeah. Yeah, over, how many years is it uh, that Theatre Rhinoceros has been around? Oh, in the world. That's the world here. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, longest running queer theater in the world, Yeah. Um, when wow. when did it start? When did uh, Theater Rhinoceros start? Um, they have a 24-hour ticket hotline, 800-838-3006. Um, 800-838-3006 for those that still have phones and like to use them. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, when did Theater Rhinoceros start? Um, I don't know the history. Oh, pizza line, Lord. Ah. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't see it. I'm looking right now for that information. I, I, it's not on here. It just says the longest running. I'm. I'm thinking like forty, about forty something. I think I saw forty years on here somewhere. At one point. Okay, about forty years. Yeah. I think I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, John Fisher. Is he the founder, or one of the founders? I don't think he's the founder. He is the um, director right now. Yeah, but he he yeah. wasn't around forty years ago. He's young. He's mm-hmm. young for that. Oh, he's too young. Oh, okay, <laughs> he inherited it. Okay, keeping it moving. All right. He's not old enough to be. He's not. He's not old enough to be um, the founder. He's not. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a wonderful theater. I have really enjoyed um, my experiences over the years, attending plays, and particularly, you know, The Legend of Pink. Oh my goodness, love reading it. Love seeing it. Love the discussions afterwards. Wow, Pink, the actor who played Pink, oh, phenomenal. Oh, my God. What was the actor's name who played Pink, Kevin? Charles Peoples. Oh, my Yeah, goodness. Charles is the bomb. Oh, man, that brother is, like, Charles. multi-talented. Oh. You know you know Charles? Uh, he was in um, At the Wake of a Dead Drag Queen, and I oh. saw Charles. Yeah, I saw I'm on stage. It was the first time I ever seen Charles, and 
I was like, who the who is that? <laughs> he's just incredible. He's just like mm-hmm. so giving artist and yeah. You know, for yeah, the addition of for the addition of Pink, he walked in the room. I said, "That's Pink." <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. No one else. That is really it, nice. Yeah, he's walked in the room. I said, "That's Pink," and mm, and and yeah. DJ, and just laughed. Nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, I want to thank both of you so much for for joining us today to talk about Pillow Talk, which is opening uh, June 11th through the 20th at Theater Rhinoceros. It's going to be a virtual theatrical experience that you don't want to miss, so you need to go early so you can go back and see it again, um, you know, on um, demand, as they say. (laughs) But you want to be in the house when it gets recorded so you can be there. Are you all going to have any talkbacks or anything like that connected to um, the programming? Yes. Every night we will come on to the virtual stage after the show. Oh. And, uh, okay. yeah, we will we will be available for questions. And um, so I, I love the talkback times because just getting people's mm-hmm. perspectives. Yeah, we'll be there. Yeah. Oh, cool. Super, super. Well, I look forward to that. And, uh, yeah, see you all soon. Okay. Thank you, Wanda. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> all right. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye. Bye-bye. Peace and blessing. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So want to let folks know that the um, – uh, the Legacy um, Film Festival um, for older. I'm looking for my press release. I can say it correctly. Uh, Legacy. Uh, here we are. Legacy Film Festival um, is continuing uh, through Monday, so you have an opportunity to see these wonderful films. Uh, Legacy Film Festival on aging. There are 38 short, mid-length, and feature films from Australia to Sweden, Hungary to Cuba, and across the United States, um, immersing viewers in both the beauty and challenges of growing older. Wonderful, wonderful work, wonderful work. So you don't want to miss it. So, again, um, Legacy um, Theater... uh, Legacy, sorry, not theater. Legacy Film Festival on Aging. And you can get tickets by going to the website, which I think is the same as the, yeah, it is the same name as the festival, Legacy Film Festival on Aging.org. Uh, tickets are $8 for a program and $50 for all festival pass. Um, yeah, today's Friday and it's going through um, the 31st, Monday. And so, yeah, you know, grab your popcorn and some friends and sit around, you know, the TV screen. Um, some of you all have, like, studios in your houses or a studio <laughs> in the family room. And watch some of these wonderful films, particularly with younger people, because, um, uh, you know, when you think about aging, that's a great uh, conversation starter, and some of these films are phenomenal. And we see multi-generational uh, members of you know, these cast, uh, you know, whether it's uh, 
most of these, if it's doc, I think most of these are documentaries. But if um, so, you know, we see you know fathers and daughters, and uh, we see older um, adults with their children as caretakers. Um, we see elders, you know, doing some really phenomenal. Uh, phenomenal things, you know, when people think, oh, 80, 90, like what? Um, so anyway, it's a really, really great film festival, and we had an opportunity to speak to directors and subjects as well as the um, the founder of the film festival who was in her 80s, and she lives in San Francisco. And so the film festival is simply marvelous. And so, yeah, you don't want to miss it. And uh, San Francisco Doc Fest comes, swings into the Bay, uh, and I don't know if it's virtual or both. Uh, I think it might be virtual again. Not sure. Need to check the website for SF Indie. Um, but it kicks off with some really marvelous, with a mar- really marvelous film, and and you know the selection is just so outstanding. So you definitely don't want to miss SF uh, Doc, which is part of the SF Indie Festival. And you know the last festival they had was looking at environmental films which is a new um was a new um sort of direction for the SF indie um production team but they did really really well and I'm sure they're going to be continuing with that cuz they have films from around the world and uh and about a really important important subject you know we really need to think about uh more sustainable wa- ways to to live you know, with other species and uh, and not do as much harm as the human species tends to do um, to other life forms. We just really don't care enough and do enough to make sure that, you know, that all life um, has an opportunity to develop in ways that um, are... Um, are functional as well as, um, yeah, in ways that are functional and in ways that do not destroy other other uh, life forms' ability to to develop fully, which is what happens when we don't um, consider our choices in um, equitable ways. So, what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about what am I? I was thinking about what to play in our. Oh, we only have five minutes. <laughs> So I was thinking about playing um, uh, something from Alice Coltrane, uh, and uh, yeah, I was feeling uh, Journey into Satchananda, and uh, it's a really beautiful piece. And um, you know, we sort of began began the morning with uh, with a little poetry and uh, and um, uh, brother D. Docio uh, Habib talked about mindfulness and reflection and being in our in our bodies, like occupying our bodies fully, and being in the moment that we're in. Don't think about other places, but just sort of like take a breath and be here in the now, in the moment, and 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 enjoy this moment and not let ourselves wander. So so monitoring the breath. So I'm going to invite everyone to sort of breathe through. Alice Coltrane's journey into uh, Satyananda. It's such a beautiful piece, a shade to Alice Coltrane's memory. 
Um, and I say to all of our ancestors, and I say uh, to the memories of those who um, who lost their lives during this pandemic, those that are sick, we hope that they get better. And uh, and June, you know, June is like February for black people. And this this particular June, on June 19th, Juneteenth, you know, Freedom Day, uh, is the 100th anniversary of James Weldon Johnson, who is the author of the national anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. And so here is... Uh, Alice Coltrane's journey to Satyananda. Take a breath. Mm-hmm. 